fasten your seatbelt. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. As if. You're going to ask me. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. Here comes the bride. Okay, I'm not going to sing. I was going to. And then I decided I love you all too much. did a little bit. I did a little bit. I did. I, I was tempted. And I decided that I love you all too much. I, here's It's a love story. That I love all my co-hosts to a degree that determines how much I'm willing to sing in front of them. Is it wrong for Love means never having to sing your sorry. All right. Anyway, it's a 30-something movie podcast. How are you guys doing tonight? Wow. Woo, wow. Mowage. A dream within a dream. <laughs> Mowage is what brings us Bring together, us together today. today. That <laughs> blessed <laughs> arrangement... <laughs> That blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. So treasure your love. Jeffrey, how are you doing? I'm going to stop that. <laughs> oh, no. I think you need to do it. <laughs> the, the entire episode? <laughs> yes, I think. Yes. Yes. I have Jeffrey Mazuka Bo Wombold. Can I call you Wabot? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like Wobbert would work out better for me. <laughs> Maybe. Like, I also woe you into a false and, sense of security. And Patrick Kanagawa. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm John Weed. <laughs> oh, man. Where are you now? Mm. This is just the beginning of the podcast, folks. We, we haven't even started. I'll take a little sip there and fire it up oh, here. So John's podcast fuel is flowing freely <clears throat> this evening. That's on storming the castle. <laughs> you think it'll work? That's been done. Mm. I was going to say, well, it would take a miracle. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, it's not that movie. I mean, it is a wedding, but, you know, it's not that movie. But uh, we're here for Father of the Bride. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. One of the greatest things to ever happen to cinema. Yeah, it oh. is. Oh, it's so much fun. Love this movie. We're and, and, and we're going to get into it, but I think I texted you guys at the time. Like I, I put the movie on. I t- well, uh, Nora and, and was Nora and Sharon were there, and and I said, hey, you know what? I, this one's appropriate. Like we can all watch this together. I said, I got a movie I got to watch for the podcast. Let's put it on. So I put it on. Nora loved it. She thought it was great. And then I told her, you know, there's another movie that has the dad and the wedding planner in it, and it's called Three Amigos. Do you want to watch that? She's like, sure. We have a plethora of amigos. Mm-hmm. 
I said, it's got the, it's got the dad, it's got the wedding planner and the dad from Christmas vacation. She's like, yeah, let's watch it right now. I'm like, okay, we'll do it tomorrow. But so yes, we had a plethora of Steve Martin last weekend in our house. We are the three amigos. We are the three amigos. We decided that they can hold a tune just long enough that they could be in Les Mis. <laughs> and I might not, might not, might not mind seeing a version of Les Mis with the three amigos in it. The trois amigos. The toi, I mean. Yes, the toi, toi. And I could say toi because I, okay, no. <clears throat> <laughs> anyway, oh. Father of the Bride. It's the 30-something movie podcast. Jeff Mazuka's here. Hi. Hey. Patrick Canagallo's here. Hey, hey. Bo Warmbold's here. Yay. All right. So this time around, it is Father of the Bride. Very quickly, spoilers. We spoil freely, so just be warned. If you have not yet visited our our website, why not? I mean, it, it is, I would say, it's a virtual adventure. Um, you can find all of our past episodes. You can learn about Patrick. You can. You can yeah. You can learn about Jeff. Uh, you can't learn, you can about, learn about Dennis. Bo. Did, did Bo answer the questions yet? I got to go back and look. Which ones were these? These were the okay. uh, the host profiles on oh our website. Oh gosh, from like the beginning of the beginning? No, no, no. They, these were different oh. questions I sent out a little while ago. Oh, I'm not sure I did those. Okay. That's all right. I think, I think we're just waiting on Dennis's questions. Dennis. Dennis. Yeah, we'll find him later. We'll track him down. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, before we get into Father of the Bride, I do have a couple of uh, new movie tidbits. Oh, I, ooh, be careful with that. All right. I, I, I broke them, so they're okay. more video. All right. Well, so anyway, if you want more of our episodes, go to our website. Uh, we got more stuff there, 30 podcastcom And now... You got me looking to see if I answered my own... Oh, that's okay. I no 30podcast.com. Uh, All right. So we have a little bit of news. News, the news. Another action all right jeffrey you said you had news for us oh yeah you know i just started writing some stuff down as i i I watched some stuff i i caught some uh some headlines of things so first thing i want to mention real quick if you guys haven't seen on netflix enola holmes oh is it good I, I thought it was good. We're just so in my seventh grade literacy class, we're getting ready to read, and then there were none. Ah. I'm talking about mysteries, and some of my students were like, Oh, you should check out if you like Sherlock Holmes, you know, is that the same as Enola? I'm like, Well, you know, it's supposed to be the same family, blah, blah, blah. They're like, Well, check it out. So I, I watched it uh, over the weekend, and it was a lot more enjoyable than I expected it to be. Okay. Stylistically, I think it, it meshed more with the uh robert downey jr mm, okay. and musically as well mm. um i like those i like those but yeah. yeah those were fun i thought it was a lot of fun i at one point you know i did reach a moment of like what uh, you know i think it would be great if we we didn't solve everything to leave a sequel which i'm sure they'll find a sequel anyway um but I was just like, eh, do we have to really solve every bit of everything in this one movie? Mm. But overall, I thought uh, I thought it was 
I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, Millie Bobby Brown as young Enola Holmes. Uh, her mother goes missing and she's left under the care of Mycroft, who wants to send her to a boarding school. While Sherlock believes that maybe she isn't quite cut out for boarding school because she's displaying a level of intellect that almost matches his own. Uh, Sherlock, played by Henry Cavill. Yeah. Which, you know, being so used to Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, I had a hard time looking, seeing anybody else in, uh, in that role. Because Benedict Cumberbatch knocked it out of the park in Sherlock. Oh, he was awesome. But, I mean, I still love the old Jeremy Brett, so I'm in. Yeah, check out Enola Holmes. It, it, it's a lot of fun. Excellent. That could be fun this weekend, something simple. Um, I'm in. Next thing I want to mention is this new show coming out on CBS, I believe it is, called Clarice. Ah, yes. <laughs> on, uh, Clarice Starling from... Um, what, oh, what movie was that? Hello, Sounds Clarice. Yep. Do we know where in this timeline this one takes yes. place? So I don't. That in 1993, a year after the events of Silence of the Lambs. Okay. Because the last one they did was Hannibal, which was way before. And yeah. Trying to keep track, and it's on um, my poor little brain. But I guess she kind of has to go home and face some of her demons at home while she's working on some cases. Um, it looks good. The last trailer that came out uh, for it looked really intriguing. Uh, my only worry is that it may fall into the trap of like American Horror Story or Designated Survivor, where it starts out strong. And then it's, you know, like the creators, showrunners don't really have a clear idea of what they want to do. Yeah, I worry that. We keep going back to this Hannibal Lecter um, world, for lack of a better way to say it. The Lecterverse. There you go. <laughs> Instead of trying to take the themes that you like from that and redo them, I've been really enjoying um, Prodigal Son um, with, uh, oh, and see, now I have to look up the actor's name um, because as I'm telling you guys, um, Lou Diamond Phillips is in it, but he's not the guy I'm thinking of. Um, come on. Michael Sheen um, plays a serial killer, and his son is a detective trying to get out from his dad's shadow, but he obviously always has to go talk to a serial killer dad to help him solve the case. Um, it gives you some of that same, you know, it's not the fava beans and Chianti, but it's that same serial killer thriller stuff without shoehorning it into a world that already exists, you know, which gives them some freedom. I feel like where when you, you know, you take this established universe, you're sort of hemmed in by either existing rules or, or perceived existing rules. Well, I, I read somewhere that they were going to try to keep away from Silence of the Lambs. Oh, let's hope. I feel yeah. like they just, I create something new for the character instead of re, uh, relying too much on the events of Silence of the Lambs. That'd be awesome. I'm intrigued. I, I, I think I'm going to try to record a couple episodes, check it out, see how it looks. Um, yeah, for those of you that are into that genre, 
might be a fun series to try to keep up with. Um, next bit of news. Rumor is starting to circulate that Chris Pratt may be playing Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's getting hot and heavy this week, huh? For, for a while, I, I, I thought Chris Pratt... And John, I don't know if, if you remember, I tweeted this at one of the 30 podcast tweets. But I was talking or chat or going back and forth with comments on Facebook with Jason Colvin um, about this. I couldn't remember if I responded to one of their tweets or one of one of your tweets. But my my thought was always that Chris Pratt has the right balance of humor and drama that he could pull off a um, Indiana Jones type character without being Indiana Jones. So my thought was that he would play uh, a student or like a grad student and Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones would be more of a, uh, a mentor as opposed to being the action star for the new movie. Because let's face it, Harrison Ford, while still being in decent shape, is almost 80. I don't know how much he's going to be able to pull off at almost 80 years old. They kind of got away with it in um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but barely, barely. Emphasis on kind of. But wasn't he in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Wasn't he already the same age Sean Connery was when he was in Last Crusade? I feel like they were close. Yes, but isn't Sean Connery a recognized freak of nature? I mean, I don't think he was supposed to be. Yeah. I think they were trying to to have him play younger than he was. No, I know. I just, I mean, in terms of the actual actor himself. Um, yeah, I'm not yeah. entirely sure on that. Probably could be, but yeah, no, by the time you hit 80, I mean, that's, so I then, so I threw this idea out to, uh, to Jason. What if the character of Indiana Jones falls into the same category of that of James Bond in which the actor that plays the character changes to be able to keep the stories of Indiana Jones fresh and exciting. What would you, what would your thoughts on that be? Would you guys be okay with that? Or would you as like Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, the end? No, I'm, I'm good with like an anthology series. If they want to go through and change it up every few years and, you know, have like, I don't know, four indie movies with one actor and then another one takes over and I'm good with that. Do the Bond thing? Yeah. Yeah, I like, I mean, I, uh, as an avowed, like the rest of us, Indiana Jones fan, I mean, I'm. I got an open mind, you know, like, and hey, if it's, if it's a good movie and it's a fun movie, I'll enjoy it and love it. And I mean, you know, sort of like with bond, I, I can watch any era of bond and respect it for what it is. I'll have my favorites and I'll have, you know, uh, and Chris Pratt, was he the guy in Jurassic world? Mm-hmm. He was the the guy. Yeah. And I thought he did a, a real nice job in Jurassic world. Like, um, he can pull off the zany, but in that one, it, I think what the Jeff was saying and, and what, what he'd read is, you know, in, in, in the Jurassic movies, in the Jurassic World movies, he seems to dial down the zany so that 
he's kind of like it's carefree and flip and a little sarcastic and you know i, I mean it's it's kind of it helps. I, I'm I'm at a loss for words, but I mean, it, it's not like it has to be zany. Like he can be like the action star, but with a lighter context that I think kind of works for Indiana Jones. Um, you know, Indiana Jones, Star Lord, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I guess my only thought is why? What is it about Indiana Jones that makes the character so important? that we don't just have a new story, but in that same vein. Is it just because we couldn't pull it off if it wasn't Indiana Jones? I'm always wondering why, why go to the well? Why not have new actor, new character? You know what I mean? Well, I think to a certain degree, you, you've kind of done that. You know, they've had the, um, what was that series of movies? And I feel like some of them were direct to video, like the librarians. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like you've kind of done that in a certain way. I think if you're going to do I think the Indiana Jones piece of it, I don't know, it's, it's got that already built in idea of this professor of mythology and folklore, you know, this archaeologist. And it's just I almost feel like anytime you try to say, let's do a new character with you know, new character, new stories. I think you're automatically going to get those comparisons to Indiana mm-hmm. Jones. So I almost feel like you just avoid that. If you just say, Hey, Indiana Jones, you yeah. know, we have, we have the well, rights, we have the rights to it. So that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm probably the sucker that would go watch it either way. So I'm yeah. probably the wrong person. <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah. got enjoyed the librarians as corny as it was at times. Yeah. I mean, you get the automatic kind of name recognition of, if, if you own the rights to Indiana Jones, I guess, why not use it? Right. You know, it's, it's interesting. Cause this, this concept came up on the, uh, uh, friendly fire podcast. They were talking about it and Bo, I, uh, I, I took the plunge and I, uh, I'm, I'm the donor feed I got oh. on that. So I've started going through all the different back episodes and it's, it's good stuff in there. Oh, there is some good stuff in there. Indeed. Uh, the, the case in point here, though, is one of the things that uh, I think John Roderick brings up on that is he says it's almost like if you're making a movie, it has to ex- it has to inhabit one of the pre-existing worlds that's out there was his point. And I forget what movie they were talking about, but it said if you're going to make an adventure movie or some kind of an action movie, it either has to be a Star Wars movie. It has to be a Marvel movie. Or it has to be, you know, like there's these big franchises. Yeah, what movie was that when he do, said it? Because I remember him saying it. And, it. and it was like, oh, yeah, that's and it was an interesting point. And it was actually almost exactly what you said. You know, why don't you just make an adventurer movie uh, with new characters, and new, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And then just, you know, name it whatever. But it's it's kind of like similar to Indiana Jones, but it's a little bit different, you know, and uh it's it's and then you know john's what john said is the counterpoint and it's like well if you're going to do that you may as well make it indiana jones and just make it kind of a long-running saga and i don't know it's it's sort of like um there's pitfalls no matter which way you go right if you go one way then it and you don't do it right then it can just be kind of like um it's going to be like, oh man, you're not doing it justice. What do you think you're doing? You're, you're besmirching the wonderful name of, of Indiana Jones. But then if you go the other way, then you get accused of being, you know, a carbon copy, you know, a knockoff. That's just not as, you know, so it's, um, 
it's it's an interesting it's an interesting balance it's an interesting balance to strike i think yeah i i, I just think if you and I, I wouldn't be opposed to the other direction but i just think if you're going to do a movie or even a film series and your character is some type of archaeologist or historian or whatnot and it's early to mid 20th century and you're dealing with mythology and folklore i think you if you own the rights to it i think you just automatically got to go indiana jones otherwise mm-hmm. otherwise change it up a little bit i mean the, the, the only other time i can think of would be like the mummy movies mm-hmm. you know because i feel like that's a that's kind of a, you know, Brendan Fraser's character in that was kind of a similar, he was an Indiana Jones ish character. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I, I don't know, maybe it just depends on the topic of the movie, but if you're a, you know, if you're an archeologist and you're interacting with some kind of a myth or folklore, I, I kind of feel like that's Indiana Jones. You're right. If you can do something yeah. different, that's compelling, go for it. But yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I always, envision Chris Pratt as being a good addition to that without being Indiana Jones, but instead being like either an assistant to Dr. Jones or someone that Dr. Jones is mentoring so that, you know, you have someone that can pull off the action while you still have your classic Dr. Jones involved. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you call him Dr. Jones doll. You call him Dr. Jones doll. Um, last bit of movie news that I have, which we certainly don't have to get into if we don't want to, is Ray Fisher versus Warner Brothers. Woof. <laughs> do we want to get into this or do we just want to skip it all together? <laughs> Who's Ray Fisher? Ray Fisher played Cyborg. That's what Warner Brothers said. <laughs> In the oh. Justice League movie. And there has been a lot of drama uh, Ray Fisher accused, was it Joss Whedon he mm-hmm. accused? Yeah. And the president of DC Comics or the movie division or something of a lot of mistreatment during filming of or in reshoots of Justice League. No details have come out as to what exactly the mistreatments were. Um, Gal Gadot, I believe, also said that there was some shenanigans going on. Um, and it's gotten to the point now where Ray Fisher said he will not make a film for Warner Brothers if the same guy is in charge of, of DC comics or DC movies or whatever. So a lot of drama there. You know, both sides are, are you know, saying, well, it's not us, it's him. So... Is this when you say drama? Is this like accusations of like a abusive language and abusive accusations of something? Nobody knows. You know, nothing's been released as to what the accusations are of, other than a very negative work environment. The uh, the quote from Ray Fisher, or at least the as part of his accusation, is that Joss Whedon was guilty of gross quote. Gross, abusive, unprofessional, and completely unacceptable behavior on the set of Justice League. Mm-hmm. So, so you know there's that. Yeah. Wow. I don't recall ever hearing anything about Joss before this. But interesting. I want to say there was something said about him 
very recently before this happened though um i could be mistaken and, and oh i a lot of other accusatory stories that have come out of hollywood over the last couple of years but i mean joss always seems like a, a pretty pretty fun guy to be around and well and uh, some of it i'm sure then again so did bill cosby well i was just gonna say you know creative types Everyone gets so involved in the in the art that sometimes tunnel vision is a is a thing, and they get so wrapped up in what they're doing. They... I tell you, that's uh, that, in, in my you know, I mean, it's kind of the old thing is you know, like everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time. It's just that certain people put their pants on and make you know, once those pants are on, I make million dollar records. I'm Vic Dickinson, uh, but. Uh, you know, it's it's just it's just so refreshing to hear about people that are just good, decent people. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, uh, you know, and maybe it's the Pollyanna in me, but sometimes I just like reading the thing where people talk about like uh, uh, this guy's awesome to work for. Like he's just a regular dude. Like he is great. He is, you know, and and all those kinds of things because uh, it's just inspirational when you hear that. I know I'm wandering off course, and and something related or unrelated or whatever. I mean, I'm. Huge Maynard Ferguson fan. Maynard was the reason I'm playing trumpet. I love listening to him and all that. And we, at the Jazz Fest up in Eau Claire one year, we had a, a trombone player. I think it was Bill Reichenbach. And this guy's amazing trombone player. Played like all over professionally, all different groups. I mean, everything. And I asked him because he played in Maynard's band. And I, I was like, uh, what was it like playing in the band? And the first thing he said was, best boss I ever had. He was awesome. He was like the best boss I ever had. He was fantastic. Like, and just, I mean, and that's what this, and now here's this guy that's like on top of his game is like an all-star uh, musician. And he's talking about someone else that he played for. And that's like the first thing that he wanted to talk about is just how awesome he was before he talked about the wonderful music they made or what, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was just like, yeah, he was the best boss ever. He was amazing to work with, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I didn't even know who the one and I, I'm sorry, I didn't even know who that actor was until you pointed out what I knew him as. But I'm just saying that's just so much more refreshing to hear about, like. That kind of stuff where it's like, you know, we're all just in it together and we're taking care of people and, you know, it's it's just nice to hear about those things. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, that, you know, that that saying don't ever meet your heroes. You know, there's some there's some truth to that as well. Right. <laughs> Some some of what I had read on that was that he was that he was kind of resentful that Age of Ultron didn't do better, you know, because he he did both of the first two Avengers movies. He did uh, Joss Whedon, did mm -hmm. Avengers, did Avengers: Age of Ultron, and I guess right around the time that Age of Ultron had come out, and then they were working on Justice League, and then doing I think some of the reshoots for Justice League, um, that I think some of what. Ray Fisher had reported and maybe a couple other people was that Joss Whedon kind of came into it. And there were days on set where he would just kind of rant about um, age Voltron that people didn't get it, um, that it was a much better movie than how it did in the, in the box office and that he was just kind of angry about some of that stuff. And, and Jeff, you were right. I, I looked it up real quick. It was um, so far, Jason Momoa who played Aquaman and Gal Gadot who played wonder woman, both kind of came out around about the same time 
Ray Fisher did in support of him and said, yeah, you know, we had uh, Gal Gadot um, had her own thing where she said something to the effect that, you know, I'm, I'm glad that Ray is able to come out and, and speak his truth. Now, she said, I didn't have the best. She said, I wasn't there for the reshoots, but I also had an experience quote fingers, um, experience on the set with, uh, Joss Whedon. I dealt with it at the time. I took it to the higher ups and it was handled. It, it was managed. Um, but I'm happy that Ray is able to, you know, get his, get his point across now. So clearly something happened and the actors are in agreement with each other that something was not good on that set, but no, nobody's going to detail what I it is what going forward for the Warner brothers. DC movies franchises. Um, you know, do they recast Cyborg if they want to use Cyborg for something else since Ray Fisher has kind of put an ultimatum out there? Or do they try to work? And, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Then again, DC has kind of broken away from the whole um, connected universe mm-hmm. model and just kind of says, look, we got characters, we got stories for these characters. So what if there's three different Batman, mm-hmm. you know, so what if there's eight different Jokers? That's that, that's the character that needs to fit that story at that time. So maybe they can just get away with, um, not, uh, you know, not working with Ray Fisher anymore. Well, and they can, I mean, if they wanted to, I guess they could take that as their opportunity to, introduce a new character. Cause I know the flash movie that they were working on was supposed to be flashpoint. And I, mm-hmm. I, I believe it still is. I think they're still working on that movie and in the flashpoint comics for anybody who doesn't know, and a little bit of a spoiler alert for that one um, in the flashpoint comics, reverse flash, the villain goes kind of, he goes back in time and causes a few <laughs> things to happen. So that in the comic book um, flash's mother was killed when he was a child and in this comic, the reverse Flash goes back in time and makes it so that Flash's mother never dies. Like, she doesn't die at that point when he's a child. So he never becomes the Flash. And there's kind of a ripple effect through time, and it messes up everything. So you have this world where it's kind of on the brink of destruction because the you know Wonder Woman and the Amazons are at war with Aquaman and the Atlanteans. Um, you have uh, Bruce Wayne was the one that was killed instead of his parents. So you have like a really angry alcoholic Batman that is willing to shoot people. Um, and it's Thomas Wayne instead of Bruce Wayne. And in that comic book, and that's where they'd have to change some things in that comic book, Superman never appeared when he was supposed to have appeared. So cyborg was actually the main superhero for the United States. Like the one that people look up to is like he fights for truth, justice in the American way was Cyborg. So he was going to actually have a pretty big part in the Flashpoint movie. But I'd hazard a guess and say at this point, they're probably if they continue on with that Flashpoint movie, which it sounds like they are. My guess is they probably would just go with a different character. But who knows? I'm just waiting for a Blackest Night movie. No. Well, I'm just, I, and I like the direction they're taking. I know I've said this before, but I, I kind of wish they had done that before was just go like the, the, in DC comics, they call it Elseworlds. And it's like, every story is a slightly different twist on, on what, you know, um, and who cares? Like, just trust the audience that it's okay. Like you said, you can have three different Batman and you know, most people are not going to get confused. Somebody's grandmother might get confused 
if they're really paying that much attention to, you know, if somebody's grandmother's watching all the different iterations of Batman, good for her. But I don't know. Trust the viewers. They can figure it out. I don't know that there's too many people that were confused that Joaquin Phoenix Joker is the same person as, you know, Heath Ledger Joker. I think it's okay. Yeah, it sounds like things are not good for Joss Whedon. Yeah. 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 All right. So that's no. all I had. All right. My real quick tidbits. Yeah. All right. Well, because this is our first week in February, uh, we are going to jump in the DeLorean and head back to 1991. So this month in 91, February of 91, uh, some top news stories. February 7th, the ground phase of the Gulf War begins. Uh, February 9th, Tim Meadows and Adam Sandler join the Saturday Night Live cast for the first time. And, uh, oh, Tim Meadows. Yeah, well, the ladies' man. I got my cavatier. And... That's mine. <laughs> Ooh, it you sounds like a lady. Like, you look like someone dropped two hams down the back of your pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's disgusting. <laughs> But I liked it. <laughs> uh, it's a while till we get to that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether or not we actually do it. Uh, February 26th, the Iraqi forces leave Kuwait, setting fire to the oil fields as they do. As you do. Uh, births in February of 1991. On February 10th, uh, Emma Roberts, the actress, was born. Um, <laughs> Bo, are you okay there? I'm all right. It's okay. Fine, okay. Me too. Um, and then on February 17th, Ed Sheeran, the singer, British singer was born. And on February 22nd, see, this is where it starts to make me feel kind of old. Cause I'm thinking, Hey, I was like 10 years old when it was February of 91. Um, February 22nd of 91, Khalil Mack, the Chicago bears player was born. Oh, I know. I, I look at this and I see like <laughs> Had to do that, didn't you? people that are born in, in 91. And I'm thinking, yeah, I was in like, I don't know, third or fourth grade. It's, I was fourth grade at this point. Aww. And that's when these people were born. Well, well, Khalil Mack is a force of nature, but yeah. I'm just going to say, if Khalil Mack was my age and doing what he was, at, he would be Superman, which maybe, well, so, I mean, yeah. like, you know, so I guess I get what you're saying, but at the same token, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and then I had a couple of deaths here in February of 91 on February 1st, Jimmy McDonald, the voice of Mickey Mouse from 1947 to 1976 passed away. And then on February 3rd, Nancy Culp, who played Miss Jane Hathaway on the Beverly Hillbillies TV show, passed away. Oh, no. Uh, Top books were Cold Fire by Dean Kuntz and Heartbeat by Danielle Steele. Top movies for February of 91 were Home Alone, Sleeping with the Enemy, and Silence of the Lambs. Hello, Clarice. Um, Some fava beans. Home Alone is a great film. What did you say, Pat? (laughs) <laughs> I thought it was a, you know what it's a great movie it's just there were parts of it that I just kind of bumped on but not the music the music was amazing it was awesome the neighbor was amazing I don't know how I never realized that Carol of the Bells is just DSE Ray but mm-hmm. <laughs> now that you mentioned that I'd like to do a mashup between Home Alone and Silence of the Lambs wouldn't that be fun? And instead of having two bumbling criminals trying to break into your house, 
It's Hannibal Lecter. Mm. I want to see that movie. John, I worry about you. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's been a fun week at work. Um, No, really. I I love children. They're delicious. Uh, Top (laughs) songs uh, for February. I'm sorry, Pat. I know that's. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Meats back on the menu, boys. <laughs> here we go. Uh, see, top songs in February '91: "The First Time" by Surface, "Gonna Make You Sweat," "Everybody Dance Now" by CNC Music Factory, and "All the Man I Need" by Whitney Houston. Sorry, I started. Uh, 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 what was that last tune, Jen? Uh, it was "All the Man I Need" by Whitney Houston. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the kids thought something was wrong with me the other day when I was when I was looking through some of this, and I was like. Everybody dance now. Oh, I love that song. And I start going, dun, 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 dun. Everybody dance now. Yep. I'm now old enough to remember being young enough to to remember things. Yep. Yep. How's that feel? How about them apples? All right. Our movie this time around is Father of the Bride. Came out on the yeah. 20th of December, 1991, rated PG, with a runtime of one hour, 45 minutes, directed by Charles Shire, who also did Baby Boom, Father of the Bride Part 2, and Alfie. Producers on this one were Carol Baum, Nancy Myers, Howard Rosenman. Uh, Baum also produced Dead Ringers. Oh, Pat, you like that one, too. Um, Was that the one with the doctors? Yeah, the twin gynecologist. Oh. Yeah. Well, I don't know. There might be someone that's a donor that loves it and... I just not, I'm not going to yuck anyone else's yum, but that mm-hmm. was not my kind of movie. It's fine. You just couldn't get into it. Uh, no. Uh, also <laughs> did, but <laughs> two thumbs up. Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Myers also produced What Women Want and I Love Trouble. Rosenman produced Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Shining Through. Writers for this one were Francis Goodrich, who died in 1984, uh, Albert Hackett, Nancy Myers, and Charles Shire. You may ask yourself, uh, how could someone who died in 1984 have been a writer for this movie? Because Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett did The Father of the Bride 1950. So that's why they're credited as writers on this one. Uh, Nancy Myers also wrote Something's Gotta Give and The Intern, and Shire also wrote Private Benjamin and Baby Boom. Cinematography was done by John Lindley, who also did Pleasantville and Sneakers. Don't worry. I believe at one point, Myers and Shire, I believe were married at one point. Yeah, they were for just a few years. Yeah. Collaborated on on, on a number of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was surprised to learn that the Parent Trap remake was, um, she directed that one. Mm Mm-hmm. Myers directed that one while Shire worked on the script mm-hmm. yeah. with Father of the Bride and Father of the Bride 2. Shire directed yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah, they, I mean, the two of them together made made a great, great production team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, cinematography, John Lindley, um, Sneakers and Pleasantville. Don't worry. We're safe. We're in a bowling alley. Talk about Sneakers. What's that? Mm. Talk about sneakers. Uh, yeah. What year is that, that one? Is that 93 or 94? Too many secrets. I think it's 93 or 94, if I had to guess. Sounded like a cocktail party. Uh, 92. Ooh, oh, 92. Okay. okay. Well, it's next year then. Yeah, excellent. Nice. Uh, then the music was done by Alan Silvestri, 
I, he did a couple things here or there. Back yeah, to the Future. Just, just a handful. Uh, Back to the Future, The Avengers, and Forrest Gump. The budget for this one was $20 million. Box office was $89.3 million. Flick Metrics gives it a 64%. Uh, that is kind of an averaging of Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, and Letterboxd. And CinemaScore, people that actually saw the movie and were surveyed as they were leaving, uh, that one gives it an A-. minus. Starring Steve Martin as George Bonks. He was in Roxanne, L.A. Story, and The Jerk. Diane Keaton as Mrs. Bonks. She was in Something's Gotta Give and Annie Hall. Kimberly Williams Paisley, who played Annie. She was in We Are Marshall and According to Jim. Kieran Culkin played Maddie. He was in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and The Cider House Rules. George Newbern played Brian McKenzie. He was in Adventures in Babysitting, The Pirates of Darkwater, and I think he might have been in some episodes of America's Most Wanted. Uh, Martin Short played Frank Egelhofer. He was in Inner Space and The Three Amigos. B.D. Wong played Howard Weinstein. He was in Jurassic Park and Mr. Robot. Peter Michael Getz played John McKenzie. He was in My Girl and Glory. And Kate McGregor Stewart played Joanna McKenzie. She was in School of Rock and Scrooge. Let me just say that that line, I keep all these names in like a little table in a Google Doc here. That line has the most Scottish names I have ever seen in, in one little collection there. Kate McGregor hyphen Stewart played Joanna McKenzie. I just want to point that out. That's like There's the, a lot happening there. There is a lot happening there. That's the most Scottishness I've ever seen in, in one Google Doc table. Speaking of the Scots, did you know that there is a way you can buy a square foot of land in Scotland, which will allow you to use the title of Lord? It's Yes, it's pronounced Laird, but that's fine. Yeah, yes. well, <laughs> I'm helping out everybody else. Yeah, no, yes, I know this, and... And you haven't done this? Not yet. John, are you a Laird? So I'm disappointed in you. I have to be honest. Not yet. I'm I'm saving. I read about this thing and I was like, well, John's already been there. I don't have to. It's only like one square foot. So I'm like trying to save up enough money so I could buy enough to at least just put like an armchair or something down. Oh, okay. And then I could just, I could just sit there. There you go. Yeah. Maybe a little tent or something. Speaking of lords, do you know why? So he just said he's pitching a tent. I just want to make sure mm-hmm. everyone heard that. Yep. And, yeah, okay. Yeah. Check it. Speaking of lord, do you know why Darth Vader goes by Lord Vader? I'm guessing we're yeah. about to find out. Uh-huh. And Master Vader, the stormtroopers kept giggling. Ah. Uh, uh, yes, well, <laughs> yes. I have a very good friend on the Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, Master and Mrs. Bonks are the proud parents of Annie, but when she returns from studying abroad and announces that she's engaged, their whole world turns upside down, especially that of the overprotective George. From meeting the in-laws to wedding plans with an over-the-top consultant and his flamboyant assistant, it seems as if the troubles never end in this update of the classic Spencer Tracy comedy. I used to think a wedding was a simple affair. Boy and girl meet, they fall in love, they say I do. I was wrong. That's getting married. A wedding is an entirely different proposition. You fathers will understand. You have an adorable little girl who looks up to you and adores you in a way you could never have imagined. Dad, I met a man in Rome and we're getting married. I'm sorry, what did you say? I'm engaged, I'm getting married. 
Right then, I realized my day had passed. Annie, it's a little nippy out. You might want to put on oh, a sweater. Oh, Dad, it's okay. I'm kind of warm. So there's a chill in there, and you've been on a plane. Dad, I'm fine. Annie, it is kind of cold out. It is? Yeah. All right, thanks. I'll get my jacket. I was no longer the man in my little girl's life. Old Dad was history. If I remember seeing someone who looked like Brian's twin on America's Most Wanted. First, the wedding of our children. Wedding coordinator? What's a wedding coordinator? We're gonna color coordinate with the swans, right? Swans? I have a great idea where we can have this wedding. Where? The steak pit. I don't think you want the word pit on a wedding invitation. I hope George didn't get lost up there. He's gonna be fine. Finally, the big day arrived. The day I'd been dreading for the past six months. Well, actually, for the past 22 years. Before I knew it, I had to let her go. Good, I'll just uh, go ahead. Touchstone Pictures presents Steve Martin, Diane Keaton, Martin Short, and introducing Kimberly Williams. I'm told that one day I'll look back on all of this with great affection and nostalgia. <laughs> I hope so. Good night, Mr. Banks. Drive carefully. And don't forget to fasten your condom. Dad! Seatbelt, I meant. I meant seatbelt. Father of the Bride. All right, first off, I did want to ask, um, had any of you seen the original? The 1950 original? Yes. Millions oh. ago. Okay. Yes. Nice. Okay. Yeah, no, I've I've never seen that one. It's fun. Is it good? Okay. Yeah, I I, I watched it after I had already seen this one, this mm-hmm. remake of it, and I, I feel like this remake was a better depiction of this or a better telling of the story than than the original was. I feel like okay. I don't know, Spencer Tracy may not be my uh my go to comedic. Yeah. Here. that's kind of a good way to look at it i this is funny and that one tries to be funny this one's very charming and i don't i don't remember feeling like the other word same had the same charm that this one has yes that is a good way to put that so did you also i'm i'm assuming that probably most of us saw this round about the time it first came out would be is there anybody that this was a first time viewing for you no. No. Okay. This is a, a multiple, multiple times a year viewing in our house. Okay. This, this, yeah, I, I have not watched it with my kids yet, but this was one of the ones that Tam's like, you're doing that movie. Let's watch that soon. And, uh, I remember, I think my family back in the day, uh, I think we went and saw it in the theater or my folks saw it in the theater. And then as soon as it came to video, that was family movie night. We watched this. But yeah. no, I, I want to say I remember the reactions being genuine with my, not genuine, but like first time, like initial reactions with my parents. So I might have seen this in the theater with them. I don't remember when I first saw it, but I, I mean, I've seen this movie countless times and it never, never grows old. Yeah, this was not the first time I saw it, but is the it's probably the first time I remember watching it a couple of times 
you know, growing up, not too long after it would have come out. I don't remember if we saw it in the theater or not. My dad really liked Steve Martin, so I wouldn't put it past us to have gone to see it in the theater. Um, but it probably, I mean, I would hazard a guess, and I would say that it's probably the first time since the early 90s that I would have seen this one. I don't, I can't imagine. Yeah. I don't think I watched it, you know, middle school or high school. So it probably would have been, you know, it's, it's probably been close to 30 years since seeing it. So it's been a while. Did it all come back or was it like hazy? Oh yeah. No, I, I pretty much remembered just about every part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those movies that has that kind of impression, you know, between the charm, between Steve Martin, you know, it's, it's a very, it's not, um, I want this to come across as like not saying it's a great movie. It's, it's not overly complicated. And I'm saying that in a positive, in a good way, you know, it's, it's a simple story. It stays simple. It doesn't try to, you know, we were just talking about Chris Pratt, you know, and the idea of him taking over Indiana Jones. Um, You know, this movie, Steve Martin can on occasion have a tendency to go zany. And thankfully he does not go zany in this one. He strikes that really good balance between the kind of the charming humor. I think, you know, and I've been thinking a lot about that actually. And I think it's because Steve Martin as a person is just that smart. Steve Martin as a person gets it and he knows when to go three amigos and he knows when to go Bowfinger and he knows when to go George Banks. Mm-hmm. One, one of the things that really stood out to me in, uh, about his performance in this movie in particular is, um, you know, in past episodes, I know that I've talked about how he, Steve Martin, is a reactionary comedic actor. He's at his best when he's reacting to something. That's where you find the funny in Steve Martin. But what I really picked up on is that he's just a great reactionary actor, not just comedic, but this dude knows how to give a reaction to some sort of catalyst. Um, you know, the, the night before the wedding, when you hear um, Annie and her brother saying goodnight to each other, and he's just standing in the hallway, and he just, you know, he hears it, and he just puts his hand over his heart. Um, you know, that's not a comedic response. And he's got a number of very genuine heartfelt responses that he pulls off so incredibly well in this movie. And it really just, it, this movie helped me see that part of him that, you know, he's not just a comedic actor, which I knew he wasn't just a comedic actor, but he has just such great control over, over his craft that he, he knows when to bring the funny. He knows when to bring the more dramatic he knows when to bring the charm and the love. This is this movie was such a great vehicle for him. I'm so glad you mentioned that hallway scene because that's, you know, that's where I like jumping towards the end of the movie. But that scene in particular, when you started to talk about that, I was like, I, if Jeff doesn't talk about the hallway scene, I'm going to mention it because that's one of those scenes where I would not have caught that as a kid. And this being probably the first time I've watched this movie since I was a kid, like that scene in particular, I was like, I love that scene. Like that is so good. 
And that I think yeah. is, that I think is one of the things I, I really enjoy about this movie too is, um, and we'll, you know, we'll back up a little bit and we'll kind of go through, you know, we'll, we'll fly through the kind of an overview of the plot and we can kind of talk through it a little bit, but, um, you know, these characters in this movie, I, th- I think that's not just Steve Martin, but, but the rest of them, but also how he reacts to them, like you were saying, um, I really like the characters in this movie because it's not, I want to compare it to, you know, getting ready for getting ready for a wedding. And I, there were parts of this that I wanted to compare to something like 16 candles, you know, and in 16 candles, they're getting ready. I see your face, Pat. Um, you know, they're getting ready for a wedding, but it's zany and it's crazy and everybody's fighting with each other and everybody kind of, you know, not that they hate each other, but it's like that sibling it's that sibling rivalry and they're just digging on each other and making these little snide comments. What I really like about this movie is you don't have that. Like it's just, it's nice and it's sweet and the brother and sister get along. Say this it again. movie is charming. Yeah. This movie is loving. It's nurturing. It's, it's family. You know, 16 candles was going for the, let's be real. Let, let's make a comedy. Mm-hmm. That's a, a satirical comedy. This movie was, wasn't trying to do that. And instead it captures all of the warmth that a family has to offer. Yeah. And, and I'll, yeah, it totally agree with you. And I think, uh, I think if Steve Martin would not have played. And again, I, I mean, I don't know, like, I don't want to, undercut like the director and the producers and the writers and everything like that. I mean, I know it's a whole team that puts a, you know, a movie together, but I think if Steve Martin would have played the George Banks character, or if it had not been Steve Martin playing it, I think that like, it would have been really easy to kind of hate on that guy. Right. Cause I'll just say like at the beginning, like I was sitting there and I'm like, man, he's, he's kind of doing some jerky things. Like he, he kind of, you know, but it's never over the top to where it's just like, Oh, he's a, what the, you know? And I mean, the characters are written so strong that, you know, his wife in many ways is that is the strength of the family in many scenes where, you know, and I mean, it's, it's comedic and, and like, you know, <laughs> like the weenie, the weenie buns incident. I am removing the superfluous buns, you know, and she, and she, you know, she goes to jail and says, look, here's the situation. And she's the one that kind of straightens him out and all that. But like, yeah, he's it, it, at the beginning of this, like he's kind of taken a pretty self-centered look at this whole thing. And I think if it had not been done to the way that Steve Martin did it, I think you would have ended up hating this guy. Whereas in reality, you know, he's able to bring out how much he loves his daughter and that's what he's getting. That's, that's where his struggle is. You know what I'm saying? In, 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 in addition to just trying to hold on to the past and control everything and all that to where you can, you empathize with him and it is funny or you do kind of, it does pull at your heartstrings. So I think, yeah, just going along with what you said, I just noticed that, it, it, it kind of softened that like, okay, okay. Is this guy just a complete jerk? Uh, well, no, no, he's just struggling with this thing. And even that, like you said, it's not played for the over the top laughs. I mean, you could imagine there's like everybody in life gets a little bit off center and things will throw you off. And, you know, it doesn't mean that he's a bad guy. It just means that, you know, he kind of has to come to grips with the thing around him. And I, I think 
Steve Martin brought that out. And if, if it had been someone else or if he had not played it um, uh, uh, as nuanced as he did, I think it would have been real easy to, to, you know, identify a bad guy and make him it. You know, actually, I, uh, superf- Superfluous Buns is actually going to be the name of our cover band. I didn't know if you guys knew that or not. There it is. There it is. We're going to be covering the music of the uh, <laughs> 70s band Bread, and it's going to be called Superfluous Buns. Yes. Yes. That is, well, it's that is what, what happened. cover band should be. It's like, a, it's like a quadruple big, entendre. I don't know. <laughs> when the big shots at the hot dog company got together <laughs> yep. with the big shots at the bun company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and said, we're going to, and then that's what uh, who's George Banks? <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to say something about Steve Martin and you guys are probably far more in tune with this than I am, but this is the first time I've seen this movie since watching Steve Martin's interview on the comedians and cars getting coffee. Uh, mm-hmm. since watching, I think like a, like just a straight up interview with Steve Martin since going and seeing the Steve Martin, Martin short show that tours around mm-hmm. since seeing all those things. And just, I just remember being blown away with how uh, intellectual Steve Martin is, right? I mean, not from an arrogant sense, like, I can't believe that guy's smart. Like, I mean, of course, but just being like, wow, like he is really an intelligent guy. And just how much goes into um, his craft, like how much he thinks about and he analyzes any trial and error. And I remember I'm watching the comedians, uh, the Seinfeld um keep reversing comedians and coffee comedians and cars getting coffee. And he was in that episode, he was like working this joke out, right? He was like working this joke and he's like, I'm trying this, but maybe I'm going to do this. And then it was like three months later, Tammy and I went and saw them at Ravinia and he used the joke and it was like, and it wasn't like he was working it out. It was like, Oh, Oh my gosh. Like it just, just seeing that just getting a little glimpse of what he does. And so watching him do this character and just thinking how much effort and thought and talent and, but practice, right. It's not magic. It's just, he's got talent and he's just practicing. I was, I was just blown away this time. And then when you realize that him and Martin short are like, like complete, you know, partners in crime, like just a a phenomenal team putting them in there. I mean, that's like, um, you know, that's, I mean, that's like Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, right? It's just like, you've got this power team that just makes it happen. And it's just like, you just watch those guys on screen and it's just like, this is amazing. This is art at its highest level. And I, I, I told Tammy, I'm like, after seeing, after seeing all these other things and seeing what these guys can do now, understanding just how much went into that movie, I was utterly floored watching it this time. I mean, I'm just like, this is amazing. This is just mastery of this thing. Circle back to something that you, you mentioned, um, you know, kind of being surprised at, at the level of knowledge. Yeah. Surprised. Surprised is the wrong term because it's going to well, sound arrogant. Like comedians aren't smart. I don't want it to come across that way. But I think that's, I think that's just it. I think a lot of people maybe maybe think that because they're comedians, they aren't all that smart. When I think personally for me, I think quite the opposite. I think that comedians are probably some of the smarter people on the planet, because if you're going to find the funny in something, 
you need to know the reality of it first. Yeah. Not just kind of know the reality. You really need to know the truth of it so you can find the funny in it. Right. I think, you know, that's, I think a lot of comedians are so much smarter than people realize. Yeah. And that, that show, the Seinfeld show, the comedians and cars getting coffee, I think really helped point that out when you really start getting into just some of the raw conversations that comedians had about their craft and about what they went through and about how they make it work. You really see that side of it. Well, to yeah. make, to make something funny, I mean, you have to be so well-versed in language and social cues and, you know, just the timing of things. You have to be an expert in those things. If you're going to make language funny, then you have to know it backwards and forwards enough to, like you were saying, to find the funny. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that I, one of the things I was going to ask you guys, because I know uh, Jeff and Pat, you guys went to see them live. Um, did they talk about Father of the Bride during their live show? I don't remember if they did or not, at least not. In the, you saw, Pat, you saw them at Ravinia, right? I did. I did. Katie and I went and saw them at the Chicago Theater. Okay. I, and I will say, guys, I think they have, the sh- at least at one time, it was up on Netflix. Like I think the Steve Martin yeah. Martin Short show a good a good portion of it was not all yeah. of it okay but a good portion of the show uh, <laughs> I just when Martin Short comes walk top that <laughs> I, uh, I mean it's 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 worth it. honestly I, I Jeff I, tell me if I'm wrong the show didn't seem to be this in the same manner that like when Mel uh, Mel Brooks came and it was like interviewing and conversation and telling. I mean, they would tell some stories, but it was more of a, say it again. It was definitely more scripted. Right. Right. To where like this, they were, they were presenting their craft. They weren't analyzing their craft. Right. Where the Mel Brooks one was more analytical and, you know, who knows when he actually saw the questions that he was asked. Right. Um, But I mean, this one, even the, even when they were asking questions of each other in, in the live show, Steve Martin and Martin Short, you could tell that the questions were part of a script. They weren't natural questions, even though they tried to make it sound, make it come across as a natural conversation. Um, I mean, still one of the most enjoyable experiences I've ever had at the theater, though, was, was, seeing, was seeing their show. Cause, oh, goodness sakes. I mean... I don't like like the, the two of them together. Oh, oh man! They record on the camera and just let it be. Let them go. And and watching their individual like and watching Steve Martin bust a move on the banjo and listening to the, like that like he yeah and I and you know it's funny because you know we talk about that and I, I want to say that that was one of my biggest things that got me angry about. Uh, the three amigos is that the critics really kind of lambasted that movie. And I've remembered saying that, like, you know, I think it's easy to take pot shots at comedy because you think it's fluff. Right. And like, I look at the reviews of this movie and I'm sure they're going to find any sort of um, things to say, why is this movie not 99%? Like that's kind of like when I watch that and it's to your point, and maybe there's other things that I'm just a simpleton or whatever, but I mean, there's to your point, it's like, it's easy to look at it and say, Oh, it's just kind of fluff. It's just a light story. It's just a, you know, and you don't realize just how much effort goes into giving us those feels. And I think the thing, it wasn't that, 
it wasn't that, oh man, he's really smart. That's not the thing that got me. It was like, it was like listening to, we'd have musicians come to the jazz fest and they would talk about their craft. And like, we'd all sit there as young, you know, basically young kids were beginning college. And you just assumed that it was magic. Oh, this guy's super talented. Cause he's just got talent. And like what was drilled home to us is no, they practice 12 hours a day. <laughs> They're constantly playing and refining and practicing. And they're like, it's, it's 99% hard work. And there's a, there, you know, and all this, and to see that in the comedy sense, because again, it's, you fall, I fall into the same trap. You just assume that, Oh, he's funny just because he's talented. He's just a funny, you know, and it's like that. Wow. Look at all the effort that he puts into making the funny. And like you said, finding the funny, um, but yeah, I just want to make be very careful that I don't want it to be like, oh, I just assume these guys aren't, you know, like that wasn't the intention of my comment. I just want to make sure that that's that that's clear. Maybe I use too many words and I'm making it less clear as I go. But it, it's just I'm just so impressed. But when you so impressed, someone that is that intellectual with their craft and then you partner them with someone else who is that intellectual with their craft. When you put Steve Martin and Martin Short together, you're going to get genius level comedy because they both understand when to push when to pull back when to let the other go forward then come back and let the other one step forward they know because they've put in the time to figure out how to make that work so they can they the, the talent that they bring um is just it, it's extraordinary it's absolutely extraordinary yeah. And, and the, the timing of of the of Frank in the movie is great because he doesn't show up till about halfway through the movie. Mm -hmm. Kind of yeah. need a little a, a little jolt of something. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the characters have been established. Uh, Pat, to your, you know, to your point, you're kind of getting a little little irritated with Steve Martin. Mm -hmm. Kind of getting a little annoyed with, with his attitude. You need something. And then all of a sudden here comes. Here comes Frank. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, first you get Howard, who wishes he was Frank. Right. Howard Weinstein. You, you must be Frank. I wish. I wish. Um, but then, you know, just Martin Short just comes on in and he does this thing. And, you know, the amount of improvisation that he and Steve Martin did, um, which I, I guess they handled differently as well. Martin Short would improvise more during takes where Steve Martin would do the takes as the director wanted. And then he would say, you know, I, I have something I'd like to try. And they'd go back and do it again. And in most cases they'd go with the take that Steve Martin had figured out in his head, mm -hmm. but he wanted to be, Steve Martin wanted to be respectful enough to the director you know, get the shot you want. We'll do take after take after take. You get the shot you want. Okay, you got the shot you want. Can we do it one more time for me? Because there's something I want to see if I can make work here. Just to see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most of the time they'd be like, no, that's, that's the shot we want. And it's little stuff too. Little subtle things. Um, you know, when they, when they go to meet the McKenzie's at the McKenzie Mansion. Mm -hmm. And they pour the champagne and, you know, Papa McKenzie's getting <laughs> and Steve Martin takes a sip. 
and then he spits it back in. That was his idea. And he waited to do that until the director got the shot he wanted. And it was like, can we try one more time? I want to, I just want to see if this works. And he took a, takes a sip and Mackenzie starts with his toast and you just immediately sip, oh, spit it back out. Okay. You know, it's those little moments that stand out in such a huge way. Uh, George Bonks, I will translate because he does not speak English. Oh, oh, thanks, Frank. That that would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't even understand Frank. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh man! As long as you got the chopper chocolate, the chopper chocolate. <laughs> Do you like to want to talk about the keck? <laughs> what? The keck. <laughs> Welcome to the 90s, Mr. Box. <laughs> Amani does not mock a block. Oh. Yeah, the welcome to the 90s line, that's that's a, a, a line that we'll quote. Oh, yeah. House. Like, like one of us will have a realization about something really stupid. Like, welcome to the 90s, Mr. Box. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that a character like Frank is getting one in on George Banks. Like that just tells you like where George Banks is at. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even Frank is able to get a one up on him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, I've been talking a whole bunch, Bo. I'd love to hear some of your, John, some of your reactions and all that kind of stuff too. I, I, uh, yeah, Bo and John are special guests on this episode as well. How you- yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I just hey. I'm sorry. John, you're very passionate about this hey. very wonderful movie. I, That's fine. Um, I mean, you guys are saying it all. Steve Martin is amazing. There's, I, mean, I don't think any of us doubted that going into this. Um, He's he pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, especially, I, especially because he came up from such humble beginnings. He was born, you know, a, a poor black child. And <laughs> the new phone. Uh, <laughs> oh, the phone book is here. Yeah, no, I, I think, and I think, and, and like we said, we've been we've been talking a lot about Steve Martin, and I think that the strength of this movie is even all of the other characters are almost equally as charming. You know, I, I appreciate in this movie, I, I don't, you know, some of these movies, like I said, I, I made the comparison to 16 candles. Cause I feel like that's the other end of the spectrum for a movie that is dealing with maybe a little bit of a similar, has a bit of a similar subplot to it, but you know, this one, pretty much all the characters are likable. Like I, oh, I have a warm, fuzzy sense about this movie when I'm watching it. You know, the the little brother is not a bratty little brother. Um, you know, she's Annie is kind. You know about this whole thing, and and she's just very sweet about the whole thing. Um, you know, the mom, the mom is just ma- very matter of fact. You know, she knows that he's George is having a hard time dealing with this, but she just kind of lays it to him plain, and it's just like, look, here's what it is. She's happy. Um, this is happening, especially when you get to the, the jail scene. Um, but no, I think that's one of the things I appreciate about this movie is it's just very straightforward. 
it's very straightforward. It's very simple. The characters are sweet. Um, I, I love that line. I always crack up at that line at the beginning of the movie um, when they're sitting at the dinner table and when she first reveals that she's getting married and all of a sudden it cuts back to her and she's like an eight-year-old girl. I Daddy, met a man and woman. We're getting married. Daddy, I met a man in Rome and he's wonderful and brilliant and we're getting married. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's just awesome. Yeah. But that sets up the whole thing. Yeah. That's, you, from right there, you understand what the conflict is going to be. Right. Conflict is him being able to recognize his daughter as being an adult. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, one of the brilliant things that they did in this movie was the use of the song My Girl mm-hmm. and not using it in the the romantic sense of, of the song, but finding a way to use it in a way to really define how George looks at Annie. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they play, don't they play it when, aren't they playing basketball when they play it the first time? Or is that, I think of a different scene. I don't remember. Okay. I feel like they play it when they're playing basketball, but yeah. don't they use it twice. There's a couple of monta- did, yeah. montage esque kind of yeah. scenes that are mm-hmm. done so well in here. Yeah. No, but no, because there's a couple of basketball scenes. He's playing with her when they kind of make up for the, after their first fight mm-hmm. uh, before her before Mackenzie shows up. Uh, then there's another one where um, they're playing two on two. Mm-hmm. And I think they're using that. Can, I, and I'm, I just want to take a second. You know, that scene that you're talking about where they're at the table and it's like she becomes the eight year old saying, Dad, I met a man in Rome. I, if correct me if I'm wrong, but the way they do is it called shot, shot, reverse shot where you're going. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say that I don't watch a lot of these kinds of movies. I mean, like I don't watch like romantic comedy kind of heartwarming kind of thing. I mean, I see a lot of action movies, but so maybe this is like a, like a convention all the time in this, but the way they shot that with the cameras brought out the humor and just made that whole scene pop. I don't have a, a, a better ex- explanation, but you have the shot with the kids, the shot with the parents, the shot with the kids, the shot with the parents. And it kind of gets this, like this volley, this volleyball kind of feel going on with the family, you know, with the audience. And it, and it brings it out that happened. And then there was the scene where she, he meets uh, Brian for the first time. And she's got her, he's got his hand on her leg Right. And they're going back and forth and he notices. And again, I just want to talk about Steve Martin and amazing. But the first scene when she says, I met someone in in Rome and I'm getting Steve Martin. I don't know how he does it because it's so subtle. It's like all of a sudden he looks like Sam the Eagle. Right. He starts, (laughs) you know, his his brow just becomes a straight line. And every time you bounce back, uh, you bounce back and forth. He's more Sam the Eagle like. And then it's like, well, dad, say something. And it. Yeah. And then the scene and then the scene where um, he's got his hand on her on her leg and it slides up and then all of a sudden it zooms in and he's got like the eyebrow goes up and it's what is this kind of thing is going on. And and again, it's I mean, I mean, moment of joy for that leg. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh huh. And so you're going back and forth. And again, I just think. The way they did the cameras and the way they did that, like, helped bring that out of the scene. And yeah. watching their reactions. And I just want to say, it, well, we'll get one of the greatest reaction. I mean, oh, 
one of the greatest reaction men in the business. I mean, just that that, that yeah, he just flips that switch and he's just ah uh, uh, yeah, so and with with his face. And again, like I could imagine him sitting there practicing, like trying to make that look. I want to give a shout out to Diane Keaton as well because yeah. fantastic, fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and like she was part of that team that made that movie because as over the top as his reactions were, she played the, like her role perfectly. I mean, you talk about a masterpiece performance, right? He's and, a perfect straight man for him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and go ahead, Pat. No, no. I was just going to say watching her react to him to what we're acting like. Yeah. I just see yeah. you're not. And he, and, and all she, it was so subtle. It would just be a side glance and, oh, she's reading what he's doing. And she is pissed. Okay. I mean, we'll be with my in-laws and it's something I'll start doing. So I'll be making a play for something. And Tammy will just, it'll just be something subtle, mm-hmm. you know, like that kind of thing. And it's just like, oh, I'm in trouble now. I oh. stepped in it this time. But, and that's all I wanted to say, but yeah, the, oh, well, and, you know, um, Jeff said earlier, I think it was Jeff, it might have been Pat, I can't remember. But one of you said how everyone in this movie is likable. And she could have been played like the, um, the nagging wife who, oh, just let her spend the money on the wedding. And that whole thing, the scene that always pops into my head when I think about it is, how she handles him when they first meet Frog. Like she could have just, they could have written her and she could have played it like a bulldozer where she was just bulldozing all the decisions for this wedding. But the way they have her and the way she plays it so deftly where she's massaging him into this idea, you know, it, it shows that familiarity that I'm sure our wives use on us. Yeah, all the time I mean, and we don't they, even know. <laughs> they could have made her a lot colder. Yeah. Good. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and, and they didn't, you know, they, they, they found the warmth in all the characters. They found the charm in all the characters. So even to the point where if anyone was a villain in this movie, it's Steve Martin. Right. And he's a villain to himself. He wants to find the bad guy. George Banks wants to find the bad guy. And he's the bad guy in this movie. Right. He needs to realize that. I do also, I, I, I want to take a moment to mention Kimberly Williams Paisley, who played Annie. Yeah. This was her first movie. Yes. This was like, this was it. She graduated from Northwestern. And here you go. Here's your first movie, acting <laughs> alongside Steve Martin and Diane Keaton. Ben Martin Short. Short. <laughs> Yeah. And listening to the, the director commentary, you know, just hearing him talk about how, how well she brought it. And, you know, she wasn't intimidated, but she was very respectful and she, you know, she wanted to learn, but she, she didn't want to be intimidated to the point where she couldn't do what she needed to do. And they were all truly impressed with, with, with her level of acting, particularly the, the scene when after she gets in a fight with Brian, mm-hmm. 
And the amount of crying that she did, real heavy sobs. I guess they had to like change Steve Martin's shirt a couple of times <laughs> because his shirt would be so wet from her tears. Like she was really bringing it in this movie and her level of commitment. And they were all just really impressed with, with, with her efforts as well. They should be because she's great in this film. They all are. Mm-hmm. I can, you guys, I love this movie. I can't say enough about it. I can't say how much I love this movie because it's just, I love it. So good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what I want to see out of, out of family films. It's not stereotypical characters. They didn't go that route. John, I think you were saying that. They, they didn't go the route of uh, of the, the sibling rivalry. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were saying they didn't go the route of, of, of the cold wife. You know, they this is a family of love and support. Yeah, they didn't they didn't do the bridezilla that they could have done. I mean, so many tropes. They avoided all of it. They avoided yeah. all of it. And it worked so incredibly well to just be a grounded family. Well, and even the, even the basis of the movie itself could be a stereotype. If you're not careful with it, you know, the dad that oh, is sure. opposed to his daughter getting married to anyone. It didn't really matter who it is. Just, you know, nobody's good enough for, for my daughter. Um, you know, that stereotype that could have been, you know, if they hadn't played that just right, that could have been a bit of a mess too. Cause like we said, you know, start off the movie and you kind of, you, you veer a little bit into, uh, Steve Martin's kind of, I don't know, George Banks, I don't, I don't like him so much. And I, and I appreciate what you, what you guys said when you said, yeah. And that's kind of at the point where you got to bring in Frank, you got to distract him from his, you know, his, his mission to derail this wedding or his opposition to this wedding. And you got to give him something to distract him. So let's throw money at him. You know, let's, let's have him think about what this is all going to cost. And then he can start to go crazy over that. And, and that's the part where then he starts to, you know, then I, then I feel like you, you get him kind of soften a little bit because he almost has to give up and realize, well, this, this train is barreling ahead no matter what I do. Um, so he kind of softens, he kind of, I don't want to say begrudgingly accepts it. I mean, he kind of does, but then it's the money piece that's driving him crazy. And then eventually when it reaches that, that fever pitch and he gets arrested, um, you know, then he kind of finally realizes that he's gone a little bit too far, but that scene in particular, Jeff, that you were talking about where she's crying because she got a blender as a gift, you know, that's kind of the turning point because at at that point, then all of a sudden now it's up to him to save the wedding this whole thing that he was opposed to. Now he's got to save the wedding. Well, and he even says in his voiceover, like this was my chance or, you know, if if I had one shot, this was it. Mm -hmm. And instead like his, he opens his mouth and he, you know, finally, you know, he lets the truth of the the situation prevail. The truth that he always knew, knew was that Mm -hmm. the truth that he was always trying to avoid. And he had to do, the father thing. And he had to look out for his little girl and her best interest. And her best interest was saving this relationship. Yeah. And I think, it re- I think he realized that, you know, it, the important thing to him was his daughter's happiness was that, you know, she's happy that she is, you know, she's, she's partnered with somebody that fulfills her and supports her and compliments her and all those other things. And I think until she's, you know, until she's sobbing over this blender, um, you know, and, and, and that whole scene, I don't think it had quite yet registered with him 
just how serious she was about Brian and what this meant to her. And then I think that's when it kind of snaps for him, like something clicks in his head. And that's when, you know, they go to the bar and they kind of, you know, they, they start to bond. And at that point on, you know, now he's the catalyst for the wedding going forward. I, I, I love how much George Banks loves his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that it's a movie about a functioning family. I mean, that's how families work. That's how marriages work. And uh, and in, in so know, many in so many comedies, they're not. They're all dysfunctional. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I, I like, you know, I, lest I get too arrogant and say, "Well, George Banks was the bad guy," because I, I mean, it's like when I first saw this movie, I was closer to the younger. Yeah. Say that what? Are you calling me arrogant because I said that? Me, I I, I thought I said it for I, like I meant myself because I said that first. Like I, I I guess yeah I guess you most recently said it, but early on I think I was saying like George Banks is kind of a jerk, you know like and that's where I'm saying less less like, I I meant myself Jeff I'm sorry but I mean it was like uh, oh yeah yeah George Banks like, before I get too arrogant and say that like when I first saw this movie I was closer to being the kid. The later couple times I saw it, I was closer to being Annie and Brian's age, right? This is the first time I'm seeing it where I'm kind of closer to George Banks in terms of how things are happening. Now, I mean, my kids aren't really at marriage age, but... I was going to say, is there something you need to tell us? No, no, no. But I mean, I'm closer to that than I was the other thing. And it's sort of like, yeah, okay, how many of these things... And it's, I mean, how many of these things like... uh, how many of these traps would I fall into? Okay, guys, let me do the talking because dad knows best. And I mean, maybe it's not going to come right out that way, but am I, do I do that in my life? You know, like uh, how many times, you know, when he came home, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And okay, well, the family's kind of, yeah. And, and I think in some ways you, you can watch this and, not that it, it's a cautionary tale, because I think everybody does that. Nobody's perfect. So everyone's going to kind of wander in and you expect your family to pull you back and, and all that kind of thing. But I think there were a lot of things in there that I'm just like, yeah, OK, I, I want to be careful that I don't make those steps. And it's easy to fall into that. Right. And I think him turning the corner was that like I think he was selfish for the first portion of the movie. All of his reactions, all of his thing was about how that was going to affect him and his version of the, his vision of the family. I mean, to the point when, you know, she's a year, we weren't that young. No, we were younger. I was her age when I had her. And it's just like, well, I like, so he's not even thinking clearly about it. Right. And I think, like you said, John, at that point, when it turned, it's when he realized he actually looked at it through her point of view. And what was cool then is it was, okay, I got to be dad. And he stopped thinking about himself and he, he put the good of the family first. He went to help his daughter and he was the only one that could do that. His, the mom wasn't going to do anything. Brian sure was in the doghouse. the little brother. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And it wasn't like she had friends and she go. So, I mean, that showed, and again, I think it showed that, was this what this guy was like for the 22 years of her life? No, clearly not. He's going through a rough patch because he's being self-centered, but this is what he meant to her. Right. So, and clearly she's closer to him than, you know, 
not closer, but in, in mannerisms, she is like him because she overreacted because of a blender. Well, and they, they make that comparison. It's like, yeah. you know, he realizes yeah. that, that his wife, you know, that Brian is very much like his wife and that his daughter is very much like him. And I think he even, I don't know if, if word for word, he says it's a perfect match, but he says something to that degree. And it, it seems to get better with each generation. So your kids should be okay. Yeah. Did anybody else think twice before buying your wife a blender after having seen this? One one of my favorite moments in this movie is when is that the night before the wedding, when they're outside playing basketball, George and Annie, and it starts snowing, and she's like, "What? What is that face? Oh, this is going to cost you more money, isn't it?" And he's just like, "No, I'm." Actually, just think about how I'm never going to forget this moment for the rest of my life. You know, and it's just, it's so beautiful because he finally gets it. And that's way of his, that's his way of telling her, I get it. It's not about the money. This is about you and your happiness. Yeah. And I like that it wasn't, it wasn't a, an overly abrupt getting it. You know, you had those moments, you talk about the money piece of it. You have those little moments where like he catches her falling asleep on the couch and she's got the magazine where it's got, you know, how to throw a wedding on a budget. And you just kind of see as a dad, you know, I, I think he was trying to come up with, sure, money was probably a factor, but he was trying to come up with these all, all these excuses as to why this is not a good idea in general. And, you know, then he sees her his daughter, who is so special to him, you know, she's looking through a magazine trying to find ways to save money on this because that's been his most vocal objection. Now that he doesn't really object to Brian vocally anymore, his vocal objection is the money piece of it. And I think he just, you know, and, and I try to put myself in, in that place and I'm like, okay, well, if that was the same situation and, you know, I found my daughter worrying about money because I had objected to something like, well, that's too expensive that it, you know, it would, I would hope, and I think it would, would hit me at some point and be like, dude, you, you've got one daughter. Like, you know, you can't spend millions of dollars because you don't have millions of dollars, but you're going to do what you can do to try to make this the best you can for her. Well, and the fact she was doing that for him. Right. Without telling him. And yeah, that that was her way of of trying to ease the burden on him Mm -hmm. because she recognized what the, what the issue was. So she didn't want to make a big deal of it. So she was looking out for her dad, the way that her dad looks out for her. So here's what I want to ask Pat and John specifically. You guys both have little girls. Mm-hmm. What's it like watching this movie through that lens? Yeah. <laughs> My daughter probably buckled me up in the hurt bag and pound the crap out of me if I treated her like that. I don't know about yours. <laughs> I, I have a feeling like if I, if when Danielle is that age, if it, you know, I might, if like, if I start to pull some of those shenanigans, <laughs> she might just take a swing at me. <laughs> Oh man, I cried like a I cried like a baby <laughs> watching this movie. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh my god! Oh geez. So I don't know, John. You go ahead. What was what was your feeling? Well, no, I I think I think you know, kind of along the same lines, watching this movie because I I do always feel like 
I do always feel like Nora and I have a very similar personalities. So, you know, when, when he makes that connection and he's like, well, I'm very much like my, my daughter and I are very much like each other. Like she overreacts the same way I overreacted and I'm watching this and I'm, I'm thinking, you know what, Nora and I are very similar. So, you know, I could see, you know, it, I could see something similar to this playing out. You know, if, if, if I started that way too, if I was like, nah, nope, this is not going to happen now. I, I would hope that when reaching that point that I have raised my daughter well enough and trust her enough that she makes a wise decision when it gets to that point. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to react. Like when, if, or when it ever gets to that point, I don't know how I'm going to react to this, but I hope that I can do, you know, a halfway decent job of, I don't know, accepting it or, you know, dealing with it. I don't know what the right word is for it, but yeah, I, I kind of watch this movie as, as an adult now and I go, okay, this, this is a very different having not seen it since I was probably about 12 years old. It's a very different viewing experience now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and my wife actually just texted me and said, our front yard is too small for swans. Just so we know. <laughs> so, what about a tulip border? We could probably do a tulip border. Yeah. Okay. We could well, probably do and, that. And what's even funny about that. And you know, like, if you watch this movie on the surface level, it's like, yeah, I mean, come on, if a wedding, you got to be careful because sometimes these things can get out of hand and mm-hmm. money. And it was just like, based on what I saw, it doesn't look like the Banks family was hurting for money too badly. No, I, I'm just, no, and again, I mean, they, they yeah. don't live, they don't live in Bel Air, but yeah, you know. I, you know, it's just like, we don't drive expensive cars. Yeah. You drive a classic British sports car. Right. Right, like <laughs> what's expensive yeah, to you? Because that's I'm thinking that's that's an expensive car, and not just because it's a sports car. Classic British. Okay, so anyways, enough said about that. But I mean, but in all seriousness, I think they don't need to interrogate that at all because I mean that's kind of beside the point. He's being all stingy about money and all that kind of stuff. They clearly can afford it, right? I mean, it was because well, it, it's, it's, it's not about the money. Right. And and that's the thing that I think the lesson in this and kind of going off what you're saying, John, and question about, you know, how you with your daughters and everything. It's the realization that words, words matter, right? Words matter. And that's what he was realizing is that his words was hurting his daughter. And it's like, you know, you got to be like, what, are, what is the message you're reinforcing? And I catch that with my kids, you know, I'm saying stuff, I'm saying stuff. And then it's kind of like that, take that step back and say, okay, I know what I'm driving at is important, but this is on me because what I'm saying and why I'm and how I'm saying it, they're missing the point and they're getting hurt. So what I'm trying to teach them and show them or impart to them or whatever is not getting taught or imparted or taught, you know, whatever. And I'm doing damage. And that's when he looked and he saw, oh, she's looking at the the magazine. It's the, oh, yeah, man. Ugh. Everything, all those little snide comments I'm making. Yeah, that's hurting her. Right? You know, like all the, and I think that was the power of it. It's just, just be careful what you say. Think about how you're going to say what you need to say. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. you got to be careful of how you say things, right? Not just kind of the message. And and depending on how you say it, your message isn't going to get through, you know? 
Well, and I think, I think with any child, you know, son or daughter doesn't necessarily matter, but I think with any of that, you just, there's a certain sense of, you know, you, you have raised them, like you've brought them this far in their life and you want them to make the right decisions and you want them to be safe and you want all those things for them. And then you reach a certain point where it's like, all right, I don't have any control over this anymore. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've done what I can do. I have to trust that what I felt like I did as a parent has prepared them for this. And, you know, maybe I, maybe I absolutely love the person that they are engaged to. Maybe I absolutely cannot stand this person, but I think it, you reach a certain point where you kind of got to, you know, not that you completely give up. If you think it's a really terrible person, you know, I, I think I would jump in and, you know, have some comments about that. But I think it reaches a certain point where you, you have to, you've got that balance between how much longer can I still protect them versus, all right, well, did what I can do. The rest is kind of up to them now. Yeah. I think that's what well, this movie does so well is it, is it, it hits that, it strikes that balance. I think we've said repeatedly, it strikes that balance of, you know, he, he lets go right, right when he needs to, like he might hold on just a little bit longer, but he does let go right when he needs to. And, and it's just, it works well. And it shows like that depth of parenting, you know, it's, it's like, you can't just control the kids till they're 18. Like you got to teach them to make those decisions, right? You got to teach them so that they can analyze and, blah, blah, blah. It, you know, it'd be called like decentralized command or no, here's one. You're going to laugh. Uh, uh, distinguished on the Danielson framework. You're not telling the kids what to do. They know what they're supposed to be doing and doing it right. And it's sort of like, uh, you believe that in this movie, like he's struggling, but again, it's all, it's not because, Oh man, Annie really, she isn't a good judge of character or, Oh man, Annie's not, it's all him being selfish and that's where the Diane Keaton character is so amazing at reminding him of that, that you're totally believe that he, they did a, they did a great job parenting her and in teaching her all those things. This whole struggle isn't because she's not ready equal to the task. It's because he's being selfish. And, and, and when he finally realizes and sees her for what she has become, you know, and it's, it's just, it's a beautiful story and, and you don't need any, backstory you know all those things were in place i gotta say i i'm kind of on this topic and and since i have a public forum to be able to share this um, there is a song that i absolutely hate that deals with this topic and i don't remember who sings it but i felt like for a stretch of time anytime i'd go into a store they were playing it over the speaker system it's Uh the uh, why you gotta be so rude Uh you guys heard that song yeah it is quite popular right now for whatever reason. Yeah, it's it's been out for several years. Like, I don't know exactly when it first came out, but um, it's uh, basically the lyrics are it's it's like sung from the perspective of a of a guy that is dating a girl and the father doesn't like him. And so the a band called Magic I Magic. Believe. OK. Um, and then it's let's see. The chorus is. Well, here's one of the verses. Uh, can I have your daughter for the rest of my life? Say yes, say yes, because I need to know. You say I'll never get your blessing till the day I die. Tough luck, my friend. But the answer is no. And then the chorus is, why you got to be so rude? Don't you know I'm human too? Why you got to be so rude? I'm going to marry her anyway. Marry that girl, marry her anyway. Marry that girl, no matter what you say. Um, and I hate that song. I absolutely, absolutely <laughs> cannot stand that song. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not that I, not that I picture myself as being an overbearing father, but 
I'm sorry. If, if that person was the one dating my daughter, I mean, I've never thrown anybody through a glass door or a window, but I kind of feel like I, I, Nora, take notes. There's a first time for anything. Yeah. Nora may be listening to this. So, right. Yeah. So Nora, I have a feeling that if that Nora wouldn't let, wouldn't have anything to do with a person like that. And see, that's, that's kind of part of my point is like, I hope that, I hope that whatever we've instilled is that if, if the person that you're with is that kind of a special jerk that, you know, you'd avoid that anyway. So rude. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Gonna marry her anyway. Yep. I hate that song. Gonna marry her anyway. Yeah. Now the, yeah, no, the only thing that would make that song worse is if there was a special appearance in the room Two by Bobcat Goldthwait singing that song. Oh boy. I'm not even going to try. No. Hey Mark, why you gotta be so rude? All right. Well, do we have anything else we want to say about this movie before we go into three questions? Yes. Say it. I always feel bad when his family can't see his vision of a wedding at home. Mm -hmm. I think his vision of a wedding at home is very sweet. It's adorable. And I always feel bad to like, and he gets excited about it. Like this is the first time he's showing excitement about this wedding. And all of a sudden, everyone in this family like, what is wrong with you? And he just, he doesn't understand why they're not, under, why they don't get it. And it's clearly, they're not seeing what he's seeing. And I just, I just feel bad for George. He's, he's finally excited. He's finally happy. And they yuck his yum. This is when he suggests the steak pit and they say, no, the backyard. And he looks over his shoulder yeah. and kind of, and he kind okay. of realizes like what that's going to look like in the backyard. It's like balloons and tablecloths and yeah. picnic tables. Yeah. Him at the grill. Yep. Yeah. He's blowing up food and everyone's just sort of hanging out, having fun. And, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I just always feel kind of bad that like his family didn't get it. And before, I want to, before they took the, the opportunity to try to get it, they all just crapped on his idea. I want to go back and watch that now because I, I I thought that he looked and he was like, oh, this is what they want? Like, but you're saying like he was looking and saying, oh, cool. I yeah. can get behind this. I yeah. want to go back and watch that scene then. That was rewatch like, that scene. That was like him daydreaming because he was like passing food to people and he was like, yeah, here, take these and take it. And it was okay. like, yeah, it was like his daydream of what the perfect wedding reception okay. would be. You know, just yeah. in, informal family fun. That's why I don't worry too much about Nora, because when that scene came up, she's looked at. She's like, that looks like fun. Like, all right, you keep that in mind then. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Write it down. I did putting, it. Put it in a fireproof box. John did tell me I was right the other day, and I, I did have the opportunity to record him saying it. So I do have that to play Ooh, back anytime I need. Mm -hmm. Timed it think just of, right. And think of all those things that he did for the wedding behind the scenes to yeah. make sure it went smoothly. And like the whole family's like, where is George? He's missing right. this. Like, what's wrong with him? And it's like, did anyone say, hey, where is he? Is he okay? Like, oh, he's out front parking all the cars. Well, let's lend a hand, you know, and 
And there's a little side in that too, where, you know, I mean, yeah, he was, he was putting his foot down. He didn't suffer in silence in terms of the whole wedding and the idea. But once he realized that was important to the family, he didn't once complain to his wife. Well, I missed it because I was out and no one else was helping me. Like he just put his head down and took care of business. So I think that was a powerful scene too, is because you realize, yeah, he's not a bad guy. Yeah, he was struggling with this thing, but you can imagine that for 22 years, okay, yeah, he was the dad, you know, here's the plans and here's this, but maybe he was also the one behind the scenes spinning all the plates, like, okay, I'll accept it. This is what you want. I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. And at the wedding, he like, uh, did suffer in silence. Like, I, I mean, I, I thought that was a really, yeah, it was funny that, you know, parking the cars and the kids driving the cars. But when you look at what that, what was happening there, that was, a. Uh, that was pretty cool. Like, so, okay. Anytime you start being overexposed to something, you start to pick up on, on its flaws, right? Oh. And this happens with movies. I wonder, I wonder if you're going to you say the same thing movie, I am. The more you watch a movie, the more you start to this. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> and, you know, for example, year ago or so thomas was really into watching toy story and we had toy story on once a day and for a while i was like yeah toy story all right but then you start really picking up on some of the intricacies like wait a minute this doesn't make sense that doesn't make sense and there was something that stood out about about this movie that i was just like hold on a second so the whole wedding he's trying to have he's trying to see annie is there no father-daughter dance? All right, that's exactly what I was going to say. Well, the way the way they play it is he missed it because he was parking cars and they didn't win it. I don't think that they would. No. I I don't buy that they wouldn't have a father-daughter dance. No, that's my. That's exactly. I'm glad you brought that up because that's my exact only criticism, pretty much, of this movie is the relationship he has with his daughter. It's very sweet that she calls from the airport at the end, but I cannot picture with as intricately as they've planned everything else, and they've got this wedding planner, you know, to to you know pull everything together. I have a very hard time believing. So I'm really glad you you mentioned it, Jeff. That was the one part that I was like, no. Nope. Yeah. This this father daughter relationship, they're not missing their father daughter dance. I do not buy it for a minute. Yeah, that's that's like the big part of this movie where I I totally bump. Yeah, I just blame Frank. Well, I blame him for you know pushing the wedding along. They miss the dance. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other part I bumped on is when she comes in from having a fight with Brian, and she like she she goes upstairs. And then she's like, he got me this gift. And there's a blender laying on the bed. Like, well, wait, where did this come from? You just came inside holding nothing. Right. But then They're I They're fighting about this gift, but it's but already I, in the house. I, she opened it at the house, got offended, and then went to go see him. Mm. So I was able to justify that one in my you just, you just have that fight on the phone then? Like I, um, I don't know. But, but the whole no father-daughter dance, yeah. I I, yeah, it was traditional as they tried to make everything for this wedding. I don't buy for a minute that that would have happened that way. Well, and even if dad isn't at the wedding because he's keeping all the plates spinning and all that, and everyone's kind of focused in the moment and not worried about, you know, if they're going to say, wait a minute, no, seriously, wh like, where is the guy? Like, mm -hmm. let's get it back. Like, they're going to say it at some point, you know, 
Honestly, Jeff, I thought you were going to bump on the fact that when the kids were parking the cars and he slams on the brakes, the tires squealed on grass. <laughs> that's that's honestly what I noticed. I'm like, uh, wait a minute. I mean, I yeah, I I, I totally noticed that too. But okay, I, I figured you were going to bring that one up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. The father daughter dance. All right. Any final thoughts on this one? I've got lots of thoughts, but we can just wrap this thing up because I can talk about this movie for a long time. Very true. All right. It's time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, question number one. Did you have any drama at your wedding? And I can add a little ellipsis at the end dot, 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 that you are willing to talk about. <laughs> I will say mine's, mm. mine's pretty straightforward and simple. We didn't have any drama at our wedding at all. Um, I mean, Sharon pretty much planned the entire thing and had everything, you know, worked out to a T. She, she was basically, I don't want to think of it this way. I was going to say she was our frank, but you know, that's not quite the same. Um, but no, she had everything planned out. Everything was, you know, all lined up and, and all that. Um, we, we did not opt for the chipper chicken, but, um, the, uh, the only drama that we really had and, and Bo, you probably remember this was there was a really terrible storm the morning of the wedding. And so they were the, the ladies were having to get their hair done by the light of emergency lighting, uh, at the, you know, and we had a morning wedding too. So they were up at like five o'clock in the morning with emergency yeah, lighting. The ceremony was pretty early. It's, I remember that. The I ceremony got... ceremony was at 10 a.m. That's yeah. what I was about to say, but God, it's been a long time. Yeah. And so then there was a really bad storm that morning and, and you were driving me to the church. And so I feel that's like right. we had to take like three different detours because there were trees down in the middle of the road. Oh and God, that's right. Yeah. I, I drove by that church the other day. Oh, did you? I had to go up for jury duty. Yeah. But yeah, they were like, we had to take a couple of different detours because there was a tree down on, was it Rockland Road? I think we tried to go that way first. And we're like, we're never going to get there. And and you'd never know. Like once we got to the actual reception and started taking photos, you'd never know that there was this catastrophic thunderstorm that morning. No, everything was great. Yeah. I love that room you guys had. Yeah, it was nice. Was that, uh, what was it called? Midlane Country Club? Yeah, yeah. now it's... Um, it's probably got a different name now. Yeah, Midlane's still in the name somewhere, but they have a totally different name for the banquet facilities. Okay. I actually was just at a wedding up there. Um, not in the same room in one of the others, but I was super excited at the prospect of like overflowing into the room next door. That was more of like the bar area because yes. there were these cages hanging from the ceilings that had metallic sharks in them. Yeah. So, um, and I was like, how do we incorporate that into the wedding? So I may have been to another wedding at that facility, um, a few years later. Okay. And it may have been an evening wedding and it may have closed. We may have closed down the wedding and then gone into that club. Oh, there you go. 
let's just say there weren't sharks in those cages by the time I got to the mm. to the to the club. Okay. Other, thing, other things were in the cages. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, yes. Mm-hmm. It was. <laughs> Having visions of the new Dallas Cowboys stadium. There you go. <laughs> it was. It was a great. It was a great wedding. Mm-hmm. Nice. So was yours. We had a good time. Yeah. Well, anytime you can walk into the reception uh, with uh, Star Wars music blasting. Yep, you you got that. <laughs> I did not get that at, a, at mine. I, I tried. I lobbied. That's all right. I was I was denied. That's all right. That's, all right. that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Mine was uh, I don't know if you'll remember John, but uh, when my Mm, let's say at least half an inebriated family decided to get up and all do what their version of a comedy routine or maybe a roast was. Um, I do remember cousin, a little bit of that. My cousin started it because he fancies himself a, a stand-up comic, so he did his bit, and then all the rest of the uncles and aunts decided to join in. And yeah, yeah, when that picture scrolls by on the TV once in a while, Donna just shakes her head. And <laughs> keep meaning to go in and pull it out of the rotation so I don't get the dirty look that it causes. <laughs> it's that if we didn't invite your family, that wouldn't have happened. Look, <laughs> I think that was at some point, I think that was a conscious choice was, are we going to hand the microphone to any random people? No. Okay, yeah, good. No, <laughs> don't. Just don't. Yeah. That, that, that would be my uh, suggestion because, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then while not, well, not necessarily drama, but uh, somewhat amusing, we specifically had given our DJ a, a no playlist. I think, I think I remember Donna's, a little bit of this too. Donna's friends um, may have decided that they didn't care about our no playlist and we're paying the DJ to play the songs that were on our no playlist. Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was good. That was at least in good fun. Like, <laughs> my family's toast, not so much. What was it? Just, just because I can't remember. What were what were some of the songs on the no playlist? Oh uh, well, the chicken dance was definitely one of them. Okay. Celebration might have been, but I like that song, so I don't know if she could have talked mm-hmm. me into putting that on the no playlist. I know the chicken dance class. Okay. There was a couple other of those like um wedding staples. Was the ma- was did. the Macarena on there? I believe so. Okay. Things that you see it you hear at every wedding. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, no, no. Whatever. I didn't care. <laughs> but uh the chicken dance was the big was one of the big ones. Yeah. And that one and they can't they paid him a lot of money to play that. And I you know, I can't really fault him for making an extra hundred bucks or so. So what do you have against the chicken dance, might I ask? I think it's the cliche of it was what bothered her. Like I think she also might have feared that the uh, more inebriated members of the crowd would um I don't know, be stupid, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Mostly, I think it was the cliche of it all. She just knocked him. And, you know, there are battles you fight, and there are battles you don't, and that wasn't one worth fighting. <laughs> and see, if I had known all this, I would have tried to get him to play the hamster dance. 
Ooh, that would have been interesting. Welcome to the 90s, Mr. Bonks. Yeah, Mr. Bonks. <laughs> yeah, it was drama at your wedding. Was was there was there drama? Uh no. It was uh it was a great day and the ceremony was was beautiful and short response. Nope, no drama. Moving on. Oh well I uh, can you Pat if you Pat Pat if you blink twice if you're in trouble right now. <laughs> oh no, 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 Tammy. I could have Tammy come like tell the stories. I mean it all it all went well. We hit the Mongolian barbecue that morning. Me and my buddies there's a great Mongolian barbecue place, so we went and I had How about, early is the Mongolian barbecue open? You say morning. I'm intrigued. Well, all the uh, all the ladies were meeting for like you know mimosas and hair and all this kind of stuff. So me and my buddies and bunch that drove in from out of town because um, this was this was only after my first year at Hawthorne. So well, I didn't know any of you fine folks yet, and and like I I didn't have any like super close friends at Hawthorne. So a lot of it was friends from college. So yeah, we hit the. We hit the barbecue. I think we got there around nine. We were there from like nine to noon, you know, and uh, oh, I'm impressed. Oh, yeah. Brock and the Brock and the bar, Brock and the Mongolian barbecue. And, I could not have gotten married with a lead bullet like that. in my belly. <laughs> Just and, saying. I yeah. nibbled on celery all day. I was like, no, no, don't want to be gassy. Yeah. I, oh, Bo, come on. That's, that's what we used to do that before football games. We go to El Famous and have a couple of burritos. Okay, football game, wedding. <laughs> it's basically the same. I didn't say yes for a football game. That makes sense. It's hey, basically the same. You're, you're headed you. smells you farts all day. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing I want to do is rip one in the middle of the reception. It's not a good look, man. Or even worse, three hours after the reception. Okay, hey. but seriously. Seriously, now. No, but that was good. The reception, uh, the reception was a perfect blend of of all different friends from different quadrants of my life, and people. Things got a little animated, and then as the night went on, things got more animated. And we had a shuttle bus that took people back and forth to the hotel. We had the block of rooms, right? My buddies from college, of which there were twenty or thirty, managed to only rent one room. Um, so, so that was good. And, uh, yeah. The problem was the beer that they kept cold. The way they did it was pulled the sofa over in front of the air conditioner, sure. cranked it all the way down to low and, and put the beer in the sofa. And anyways, but that, that party started, but that party started it. kicking off and it hit, it was, it was good when I remember my one friend, Eric, Eric Solberg, what a great guy, fantastic human being and wonderful bass player from Minot, North Dakota. And I remember he came dancing on the dance floor and his drink flew out of his hand and like flew across the dance floor. And it was crazy because everyone just kind of whoop, smash and then whoop, everyone was right back in and like, yeah, things were going and 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 um, like it, it just got more and more animated. And then like because so I was studying martial art at the time and, and there was various martial artists there. And so then the dance moves became like leaping kicks in the air and stuff, which then progressed to trying to kick. Dangerous. Well, then it progressed to trying to kick the chandelier. Oh. And there were a couple of individuals that could get that high. Uh, there's some of the more instructors. So then there was a quadrant by the end of the night that was jumping off the table, trying to get this. And they were getting up there like the chandeliers oh. started moving a little bit. Pat, I, uh, I really understand why you like the fight scenes in Cobra Kai now. 
Yeah. And, and then one of the, one of the high points was, uh, my buddy, Kevin, who I've known since I was two, uh, says to my buddy, Joe, that it was ACDC's. You shook me all night long. He's like, Hey man, how much do you weigh? I weigh about it. He's like, jump into my arms. It's like, what? Jump into my arms. And so he played my friend like a guitar for the guitar solo. And it was the most amazing thing that, you know, uh, so yeah. So things like that went and, um, Apparently the shuttle bus, my buddy conned them into staying until 1245. The shuttle bus was supposed to stop at 10, but he conned them and he's just like, Hey, it'll be five more minutes. Can you just hang out? Cool, man. Thanks. So the shuttle bus hung out and, and yeah, it was, it was a great time. I mean, nothing got super over the top, but I mean, it was, it was a great time. And, uh, we had a, Tammy and I had a night at the Marriott, but my folks, you know, and so we drove off in the you know, the thing in the car and everything was right. Great. Mary, walking in. Tammy's in a wedding dress. I'm in my wedding dress. You know, we go walking in, get to the front desk. They're like, I'm so sorry. We're overbooked tonight. Um, but we booked you across town in our like overflow place. So here's some chocolate covered strawberries. Here's some champagne. Just drive down the road. And uh, yeah, thanks. Congrats. And so it was like, okay. So we walked out of the hotel and then went to the other hotel and, and, uh, so that was the only kind of drama ish thing, but we kind of laughed at that. My mom was mad. She's like, are you kidding me? We well, yeah, how do you overbook a wedding? <laughs> yeah. Well, my mom called the next day with that very question, got someone that was about to get married who then turned around and said, they did what? That's unacceptable. <laughs> so then we got like another night, like for our one year anniversary, we got a night at the Marriott <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, the brunch. And that was very serendipitous because we went and saw Pirates of the Caribbean when we celebrated our anniversary because that had just come out. And why was that important? Because the theater we went to had the current motorcycle I own in my garage sitting up on a pedestal in lights. So when I walked into the theater, I had kind of the Wayne, uh, the, uh, the Wayne brooch. It will be mine. Oh, yes. And that's where I fell in love with that motorcycle. And so Tammy and I had to miss the first showing of Pirates of the Caribbean because I needed to sit in the lobby and appreciate the motorcycle from all angles. OK. And so we went to a later showing and I ended up buying that motorcycle. And so it all comes together. So I, exact motorcycle or just that model? Not that exact one. It, it was it was a uh, it was a. Uh, the later model. I ended up waiting until it was the final year of that machine, you know, never buy any 1.0 of anything, let it refine and all that kind of stuff. But that's where I fell in love and it planted the seed. That's awesome. Okay, Pat, I feel like you just missed a, a, a prime opportunity of how to throw, you know, after you just went through that entire litany of things of no drama yeah. at your wedding, there's only one way you could have thrown this to Jeff and I feel like you missed it. Oh, shoot. What was that? Top that. <laughs> <laughs> the Martin short thing. Yeah. Um, no, you know, we, uh, there was no, there was no drama at our wedding Mm -hmm. and a lot of that's due to Katie because she is a meeting and event director for her corporation. Nice. Talk about like planning things down to the smallest detail. I stepped back a lot of the time. I was like, all right, these, these are the things I would like to see happen. Now do your thing, work your magic and I'll see you at the wedding. It's like really like honestly the biggest thing I think that was an issue which wasn't an issue at all we had purchased a like 30 pairs of flip-flops in various sizes to have available on the dance floor for for anyone that didn't want to wear their their dress shoes and it wasn't until we were 
it was wasn't until we were cleaning up after the reception that we came across them. They have been all of them have been like shoved under a table or something. Oh so they, no! They never made it out. Like that was. If that's the only thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good night. Our our reception was was absolutely. I mean, the whole day was incredible. Our our reception. We had we had an awesome band, live music. Ah, that's awesome. I think like twenty two piece band. Oh, right on. That worked on a rotation so that some of them played while some rested. So they were constantly, there was always music. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, it wasn't like fans going to take a 10 minute break. There was always music here. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to pull this up. Like this band with like incredible, incredible stuff. At one point they were playing um, when the saints go marching in and it was just like, Katie and I are parading through the dance floor with, with the band. And all of a sudden they just drop down on the floor and they start doing these, like, here's a picture from their, from their website. Like they, <laughs> they start, the band starts playing, laying on the floor and wow. playing instruments. And at one point Katie and I are up on stage with them and we're singing and like, it was just, it was a hell of a party. Damn, bro. Yes. Um, Dang, that band looks awesome, Jeff. Yeah, they were they they were amazing. They were aren't those aren't those wedding bands just like amazing when, when you're you good? Get a good one, yes. And, and you look at that; they can play they can play anything, right? And if that's it's like, the part that's so impressive, like, can you play this tune? Yeah. Can yeah. you play this tune? Yeah. To that point, let me share this story with you real quick. Katie and I met in a production of The Music Man. She played Mary in the library and I played Marcellus Washburn. And um, my big number in that show was singing the song Shapoopy. And we thought, wouldn't it be funny? Well, first it was, you know, what, what should the band, you know, what, what music should be playing when the wedding party is introduced? Oh, it would be funny if we did 76 trombones. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be hilarious. And then it was one of those like, well, actually, actually and then it turned to what song should we have playing when we get introduced and we were like we should do the shapoopy because that'd be really funny and those that know the story would think it's hysterical and those that don't know the story would be like um okay but whatever so we tell this to the band you know what they're like what songs you want for this what song you want for this first dance what do you want for your entrance music? So we tell them, oh, from, you know, Music Man, you know, we'll get your recordings. Like, no, no, we'll, we'll get it taken care of. Lo and behold, they learn awesome. the music for not only 76 trombones, but for the Shapoopy as well. So they play it live. Nice. Nice. But, you know, they don't settle on a recording. They play it. They learned it just for our wedding to be able to play it live. For our celebration so circling back to your point of you know when you know you got when when you find the good band that is willing to do those things it's just top notch yeah yeah and we had them for the whole the, the whole the whole evening right a piano player in the lobby during drinks a, 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 a jazz combo during dinner and then the full band for dancing afterwards so that's Gen awesome. Gentlemen of leisure, if you're listening, thank you so much for uh, for what you did for the wedding because it was awesome. Yeah, man. 
That sounds awesome. All right. Question number two, if you were going to hold your wedding reception at a great restaurant, like the steak pit, where would you hold it? I will say I, I, I love my children. Uh, Nora's first response was, well, if I'm going to do something fancy, um, I probably would do olive garden. Yeah. <laughs> God bless her. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And then she went, then she went straight for my heart and she said, no, actually I would, uh, I would do it at Torchy's tacos down in Texas. I was like, and yes, you would. <laughs> and, and yes, you would. <laughs> so say we all. Uh, Torchy's tacos. I like it. Portillo's? Is Portillo's down? Sure. Sure. Why not? Well, cause then see if you, especially if you did the one in Vernon Hills, you could have kind of like the, the thirties, kind of the thirties themed uh, wedding, you could have like yeah. a themed wedding, so uh, that one would be my choice, but yeah. that'd be kind of fun. that'd yeah. be a great like after reception stop. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I was, at a, I was at a wedding, uh, that they brought in the hot dog stand. Have you guys ever been to one of those? Like at midnight, all of a sudden, um, uh, you know, in comes the hot dog stand, and it was like it was like hot dogs and fries and you know, tacos and, and basically just that kind of a thing. And it was the, you know, the reception's been going for about four hours. Dinner was four hours ago and the party's still going. Here's the next round of food. You know, I was the one where a taco truck rolled up and I was like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Yes, <laughs> I missed the late night snacks at my wedding. Never quite made it over there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, man. There's, there's the drama for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I've, I've still never been to one of these restaurants, but Pat, you've told me about it several times and I'm just trying to picture, I'm like, would I do something like a, you know, like a Portillo's or something like that? I, I feel like if I was going to kind of straddle that line of, okay, well it's, it's still a restaurant, so it's not where you typically go for a reception, but I'm also not going to go like crazy, super fancy because our, our model here is the steak pit. Um, what is the, uh, Pat, you've told me about this before, the restaurants where they bring out the meat on swords. I still, yeah, I still have never been. Oh, oh death by meat? Yeah. I on swords, mm -hmm. swords with meat. Mm -hmm. as, as, as a as a fellow large mammal, John, I mm -hmm. feel <laughs> <laughs> we have failed you. You have never been to one of these places. Well, that's as as soon as the quarantine is lifted and things are back to normal, maybe we can have like a thirty podcast roundup oh. at. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. in Rosemont. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and we should go on Sunday at like noon because you haven't really eaten yet, so you're ready to just gorge and well, extra little breakfast I, stuff is good too. That's that's the thing. You want to make sure you prepare by not eating for you know at least a day ahead of time. Yeah. Oh. You eat like you know, early, like four o'clock dinner the night before, and then that's it, kids. The last time I went to one of those was on a Saturday right before Super Bowl Sunday. Mm. And we all went to a Super Bowl party the next day. And, like, you know, the host of the party ordered all this food. Yeah. We were all just looking at each other like, no, still no. can't anything. It still hurts. It hurts so bad. I'm getting the meat sweats the next day. <laughs> oh, meat sweats are a real thing, folks. Would you, I'm here to tell you. Would you like a Trisket? No, I can't even. No. I can't. No. <laughs> you, you, you don't even know. Do you, do you have a 7-Up? Is that about <laughs> what I can handle? All right. So anyway, that that's my take. Um, there it is. 
uh, a Brazilian steakhouse. Brazilian steakhouse, yes. Nice. <laughs> nice. I'm gonna have to go with the Lucky Monk. Nice. Room. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Good call. Where is the Lucky Monk? I don't. Uh, South Barrington. So it's uh, Barrington Road and Ninety. Okay. Same parking lot as the Barrington AMC. Mm-hmm. That may or may not exist after quarantine is over. Right. That is. Uh, I don't think I went there with you, Jeff. I went there with somebody I worked with at the Apple store. Um, when I saw man of steel, like three times in 24 hours when it first came out. No, you know what? I think you and I, and maybe another buddy of mine went to go see it. Cause I think we met at lucky monk first and then okay. went to go see man of steel. Okay. Might've been then. Yeah. I was trying to remember. Cause I did. That's, that's the only time I've ever been there, but I remember doing that right before going to see man of steel. Nice place. Good. We had our rehearsal dinner there. Great food. Nice. Great atmosphere. Lots of good brews. Mm-hmm. Now I just want a beer. I'm going to get a beer. What's stopping you? Beer, 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 beer. They're upstairs. Oh. <laughs> Stupid stairs. All right. Hmm. That's all right. Pull back the curtain a little bit. We're recording uh, right after this. We're going to record our podcast for Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Great. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I was about to say, Pat. I think we may need to take a small break to uh, refresh ourselves before starting that one. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I know this glass is empty. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not sure I can talk about that movie without some help. Pat, Bo, did you guys share a restaurant? I was just going to say the lantern in Lake Forest. Oh, yeah. It's a little okay. special to us. That's where we met, but also you know, we know the owners and yeah. Eat it in. Right, Pat? Vita in would be outstanding. Yeah. I, um, I'll, I'll be honest, like if we were going to, uh, like knowing the owners, uh, Bota in Lincolnshire, uh, Lincolnshire, um, fantastic Italian, um, restaurant and like a grocer and all that kind of stuff. And we know the owners and, and they're just wonderful food. Um, that would be a choice. Um, if I was going like specific, if I was going more general, uh, yeah, honestly kind of hearkening back to when we actually did uh, get married, man, Mongolian barbecue. You know what I'm saying? Just head yeah, out. It's already part of your story. Might as well make yeah, it. Yeah, man. Rock that, rock that stuff. Cause that's boy, you know, mm, good. And, um, yeah, I think, I think that's what, I think that's, I think that's where it would be. I don't know. Now that we're talking about this, I'm getting all excited. Like, I don't know. I mean, it, it costs you an arm and a leg and it's completely ridiculous, but boy, I, I don't know. Maybe every, Maybe every time you mark like 10 years in your wedding or 20, maybe, maybe every 25 years, you should throw another wedding reception. You know what I'm saying? I just invite all the people that invite your new friends. And because, you know, they, they, uh, if they're, if they're done right and the, the focus is on where it should be, it, it just can be such no. a, what was that? No, can, if done right, no, can. Yeah. And, and just a wonderful, Wonderful gathering, and you know, I mean, let's be honest, right? <laughs> Marriages are work. They're, it's not all like your, your your wedding night. So, 
those would be, uh, well, at least for my wife, you know, she has to put up with me. So for her, it's a lot of work. And, uh, you know, it just kind of reminds you of, of the good. I'm just thinking back to the wedding and I'm sorry. Cause I, sorry, listening audience, I hogged that thing, but you know, I got to talk about my wedding and it's just fun. It's just fun to relive those memories and yeah, cool stuff. So I, I don't know. I'd say a, a Bota and Lincolnshire listening audience. If you're in Lincolnshire, check them out. Fantastic restaurant. Um, if I wasn't going Italian, I'd say the yeah, Mon- Mongolian barbecue would be great. So good times. All right. Question number three, how did it go meeting your in-laws for the first time? This is an easy one for me. Like, and, and I might've met them very quickly. I mean, when Sharon and I started dating, we were practically babies. I mean, we were freshmen in high school. So, um, I think the first time I met them might've been when some friends had, uh, we had gone to one of the high school basketball games and a friend was driving us back. Uh, friends, parents picked everybody up and then, uh, dropped Sharon off at her house. And then they took me to my house. And I think I hopped out of the car and introduced myself to them and said hi. And the, the first time I can kind of remember really spending more time was, um, not too long after that was one of the first dances that we went to. And it was, um, it was the, uh, it was the turnabout dance that would have been probably in February. And so that was, they ended up driving us cause at that point we didn't have driver's license. So they ended up driving us to the restaurant and then picking us up and driving us back to the high school for the dance. And, um, so, I mean, that little bit of a different experience when you're only 15 at the time. Mm-hmm. Did not know necessarily at that point they would be the in-laws someday. Mm-hmm. Takes a little of the pressure off at that point, I suppose. Right. right. Um, I never met my wife's parents. They had already um, passed on when we met. Um, but I did meet her sister What's funny is, as we were watching this movie, we were trying to recall if any of us remember that first meeting, and none of us do. We have speculation, but that's all we've got. Between the three of us, we have bumpkiss as to how that first meeting went, where it was, timing, we got nothing. That's that's better than, well, God, Bo walked in, and I just, I could tell I hated his guts from the first moment. Right. Which, you know, 50-50 shot most right. of the time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was odd because as we were watching the movie, we were thinking about it. But we couldn't come up with anything. So, I don't know. Funny. Patrick? Well, I, Jeff, would, uh, would you like to uh, talk about when you first met Katie or do you want to do you want a bad cleanup? <laughs> no, yeah, I mean my check out the big brain on Pat with all the sports metaphors. I'm bad it. Man, hey, it's football Any, season. I get excited for, hey, you know. I was excited for you that you that you got uh, Devonta Adams and and uh, Aaron Rodgers on the same team. Hey, you know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> I am much maligned in my family for my uh my nice. football team I root for. We put guys in tight pants and Pat is right there for us. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> well, that was awkward. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm so glad I haven't started a YouTube channel for us yet. <laughs> oh God! What, what were we talking about? <laughs> your, your in-laws, meeting your in-laws, meeting Pat's <laughs> in-laws. <laughs> All right. So, 
as I mentioned, Katie and I uh, met doing theater. Well, that was something she did with her family. So her sister and her mom had also been in some shows. So that's that's actually how I met her mom. We were in a couple shows together. Oh, cool. I'd, that's cool. I'd kind of already known her mom a little bit and her aunt, actually. One of her aunts did shows as well, her mom's sister. So I'd already met some of the family before uh, before I had met Katie, actually. I'd done shows with her mom and her aunt before I'd even done shows with Katie. Um, so then it was really like meeting, like when was the first time I met her dad? I guess that's the question. I don't think we had started dating at that point. Mm, maybe we've gone on one date by then, but I want to say it was at uh, theater strike after music man strike is one for those, for those of you that don't know, don't know all the terms. Um, no, strike is when you tear down the set. Um, so her, her whole family came to help, uh, help do strike. So I want to say that's when I unofficially met her dad, but it wasn't any big, like dad, this is Jeff. And uh, like, it was just sort of like, Hey, uh, this is my dad. Oh, Hey, nice to meet you, Mr. Shack. Um, and then it wasn't until the cast party that her folks hosted that I think her parents kind of realized there was something a little bit more going on with Katie and I, other than we were two people in the same show. You didn't get that moment of dad, I met a man on stage left and he's wonderful and brilliant. We're getting married. You didn't have that? No, no. Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't think so. Okay. I, I don't know if Katie ever had that conversation <laughs> with her dad, but no. Well, the wonderful and brilliant part. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm flattered that you would even jest about such a thing. Hey, I was channeling Katie there. I was trying to picture what she might say. Uh, well, don't do that because that's just going to leave that. Okay, for all right. I, I clearly, I've met Katie a few times, but I, I clearly don't know her well enough to know what she would say about you. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Okay. Speaking uh, of which, Patrick. Well, uh, John, I, I met Tammy and I met each other very much in the same manner that um, you and your wife uh, met each other. I was a freshman in high school. Um, uh, she's a year ahead of me. She's a sophomore, but uh, we met in high school <laughs> very young. And, um, you know, it's funny because we met through the band program and she, it was early on. She had it was the summer because I think it was like marching band was all in full swing and stuff. And she they had a pool at her house and, and her family was having like a party, you know, family. And so she could invite a bunch of friends. So she invited like a big chunk of high school friends over and, and that and we were, you know, playing and horse around in the pool and there was the beach balls flying. And I took, there was like a snorkel thing and someone whipped the beach ball at me and it was this enormous beach ball. And I took the snorkel to like hit it back across the pool. Well, I hit it and it speared the snorkel spirit in this big, huge beach ball just deflates, just, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, I'm four, 14 or, you know, whatever. And it's just like, I mean, you know, I'm fresh out of middle school and it's just like, okay, I'm at this other person's house, you know, and all this kind of thing. And it was like, I oh, broke her beach ball. Well, that, and it wasn't even like I was trying to impress this girl. It was like, I was hanging out with a big group of friends and there was a family there. And, you know, it was like, <clears throat> Don't mess up. 
Okay. And I messed up and it was like, Oh, shh, you know, and it was like, Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We'll get another. And I'm just thinking like, okay, they can't be that expensive. I will pay for this. Like I'll figure, like I'll borrow the money from my folks. Like guys, I'll fix this. I am so sorry. Well, um, my, um, grandfather was huge into scouting. Okay. Uh, just huge into scouting. And I spent time as a boy scout and so forth. My dad, you know, and Tammy's family was big into scouting. And it was funny because her dad got wind that there was Canigallo was, in, it was at the house. And he goes, Oh, is that, is that my grandfather Ambrose was huge into scouting. Is that Ambrose Canigallo's grandson? He was asking Tammy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I want to talk to him because my grand, like I said, my grandfather, and this has nothing to do with me. I'll brag about my grandfather was huge in scouting and just very, very involved and kind of like a legend type of thing. And, and that has nothing to do with me. So I'm not bragging about me. I'm bragging. Well, about five minutes after I bust this huge beach ball, I get word that like from Tammy, like, Hey, my dad wants to talk to you. And it was just like, Oh, fudge. And like, I walked in the kitchen, they were sitting at the table and it was him and like, you know, like Tammy's uncle and family. And I walked in, I had the towel around, you know, I walked in, Patrick, right? Yes, Mr. Ferris. He goes, yeah, I wanted to talk to you. I said, if this is about the beach ball, I will pay for that. I am so sorry. I can go home, like now. And he goes, the beach ball? What about the beach ball? I said, I broke it. I don't care about the breach ball. Is Ambrose Cantagallo your grandfather? Yeah. Oh my gosh. We'll sit right down and everything like that. And so I was like sitting there sweating nails. And again, they didn't play it up. And, and I mean, my grandfather or, or my father-in-law likes to, uh, you know, he likes a good practical joke. So if he would have known, he probably would have busted my chops pretty good about it. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, would you, no, would you was, say, would you say he would have given you a hard time about busting his balls? <laughs> yeah, I guess that there it is. There it is. Um, but, uh, so no, that was the first time I met him. And, uh, um, you know, I was 14 and, and just, you know, uh, that was, that was that. And, you know, unfortunately, and Pat is still known as a boy who broke the beach. Well, <laughs> it's not so privately because, you know, obviously one thing led to another and his daughter took a fancy to me. And unfortunately they're stuck with me as their son-in-law, which God help him. But, uh, but, uh, at the wedding, he had it arranged that he, he got like 20 ginormous beach balls, right? <laughs> and they had a, and they had a friend of the family fill them up. But the best part was to fill them up the day of the wedding. He, he couldn't blow them all up because it took so much air. He went to a gas station and was filling them up with the air pump for the tires, which then there were people honking. Cause they use like, and he said, he's, he's in his tux. He's like, hang on, this is for a wedding. You got to give me five minutes. And so they had these 20 ginormous beach balls. And at one point in the night, all of a sudden they started, you know, my father-in-law made his speech and then all of a sudden the balls came in. So for the rest of the night, beach balls were getting lobbed over and all that kind of stuff, because that's when, you know, we first met was, uh, Patrick. Yeah. My dad wants to talk to you. Oh, so anyways that was that was funny and god bless them they're still putting up with me as their (laughs) son-in-law which i couldn't imagine uh all right all right well i think that's going to do it for father of the bride so uh i think general consensus from everybody here is this is an amazing movie movie go watch it yes yeah yes you have not seen it go watch it right now then watch it again and then, and then watch, watch the sequel. Yes. 
and then watch the watch the first one again and the sequel again. That's the other thing too. Like now I'm like it's been a little while since I've seen Father Bride Part Two, so I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of ready to watch that now. I just called to say I love you. Ed Rooney's office. Paris Bueller's online too. Maybe I guess you should have called. I did call earlier when using the phone. Earlier when was that? Or later when then I uh, le left a message. A message? What number did you call? Two, four, niner, five, six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No, it was cordless. Mm -hmm. You know what? Don't. Not here. Not now. All right, guys, we had a listener send in a voicemail. So let me see if I can pop that up here real quick. And uh, we'll see. I believe this was uh, Tristan Martin from Twitter, which I believe is part of our, and I'm Tristan, I apologize if I'm getting this wrong. I believe Tristan is an extended member of the Oklahoma contingent. Um, so I, I believe he's kind of part of the group of friends that include Jason and Dee and, and some of those guys. So um, let me pull up his voicemail here and we'll see what Tristan had to say. Hey guys, this is Tristan from the Oklahoma Contingent, and I'm just calling to let you know that you have created your best podcast episode ever. I feel like Elf when he tells them, you know, greatest podcast episode ever. You guys did it. Congratulations, because you did. It was Batman 89. That one was the best, but with your Rocketeer episode, you have surpassed it. I saw this movie when I was seven years old and loved it, loved every minute of it, and wanted to be the Rocketeer. And so I did what you guys said. I went back and I watched the episode before I listened to you guys, and it was awesome. I love this movie. Uh, I love the the flying, like you guys talked about, the, how it's uh, how it's more realistic. And I love the FBI and the mafia and the the Zeppelin and Timothy Dalton and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm with Pat. If you don't like this movie, you're a jerk. So, and. <laughs> I wanted to add in that my vision for a new Rocketeer would be a Batman Beyond type thing where Cliff becomes like the Alan Arkin character or the Bruce Wayne character and teaches the new guy, the young guy, and he becomes the next Rocketeer. I think that would be awesome. Uh, one request, John, would you make those, uh, those pictures you have, the drawings uh, available to us so we can all look at those because those sound amazing. Anyway, great job, guys. Love the show and uh, can't wait to listen to all the new ones. Thanks. Bye. That's awesome. Tristan, thank you so much. Yeah, I will yeah. Uh, I will see if I can pull those pictures and and uh, throw those up on the Twitter feed so that we can uh, we can get those out there and everybody can take a look at them. Um, yeah, that's I, I mean, got to be one of my favorite movies of all time. It's it's up there with Star Wars and and uh, Indiana Jones and Superman and all the other stuff. But um, no, absolutely love the Rocketeer and and always, always happy to hear from a fellow Finhead. Um, but uh yeah, and and Pat's just happy that somebody didn't didn't uh, give him a hard time for ruining their favorite movie for once. No, no, well, yeah, I was just because Pat's just happy he didn't he didn't ruin someone's movie. Like they can oh, give right. me a hard time if oh, I, no. you know, I just uh, I'm just I'm just glad. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. No, seriously, thank you for calling in and thanks for listening to the show. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yep. 
So greatest podcast of all time, Batman, and then also Rocketeer. So I, we've pretty much covered everything. Uh, That's so it. Dennis, has there been a movie that you're waiting for that we haven't done yet? Because we've covered we've covered Batman's we've covered Pat's Batman, we've covered my Rocketeer. So is there anything you're still waiting on? Ninety one, um, or or beyond? Oh, beyond? I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to look. I mean. I'm just going to say, six, when did Six Sense come out? See, but Six Sense is, uh, it's 97, I remember. So seven years? Yeah, I was on a date when I saw that, so I remember okay. that. Well, when I, came, when, when I started talking to 89 Batman, that was five years away. Yeah. The Six Sense, I mean, I'll, I'll have a few. I'll, 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 I'll ponder that question and come back with some... Nothing hits me right off the bat, but there's been times where I've thought about things. I just need to write them down then because I'm okay. like, oh, when are we going to do that one? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right now, my brains. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Yeah, yeah. That was very good. Very good message. Very good audio quality too from that. From you. Very good audio quality. Yeah. How, however he was recording yeah. that. I don't know if that was straight off his computer or. I wonder if that was, I'm betting he's got a mic. He's got a nice uh, snowball or a you know, Yeti or something going on there. Yeah. Sound very good. Yeah. So, yeah. So, thank you, Tristan, for reaching out. And, um, I, yeah, I completely agree with you. Rocketeer, great movie. So much fun. Um, I mean, it's a regular, I watch it at least a few times a year, uh, at this point. And if you want to, if you want to, and we've said this before, even on our show, and, and, you know, we, we have no, uh, we'll, we'll Miracle 30, Miracle on 34th Street this thing and, and send you to another podcast where you can, you know, listen to some really good stuff. Um, the, uh, Rocketeer Minute. You got to go check that out. I know we mentioned it a few times mm-hmm. on on our show, but if you want a good, what is it? They probably ended up having like 90-ish episodes, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, if you really want to dig into that movie and just get in-depth and hear some interviews with the actors and Billy Campbell and, and other people, um, you got to go check that podcast out because those guys are great too. So, uh, But yeah, thank you for the voicemail and thanks for listening. All right. Well, 30podcast.com. That's where you can find the rest of our episodes. Go check those out there. If you're on social media, uh, at 30 podcast on most of those, um, if you go to our website, that's got places on there where you can uh, join us on Patreon, get access to some of the Patreon exclusive episodes. If you're supporting us on there, it's also got a place where you can leave us a voicemail. Um, lots of other stuff going on our website. So go check that out. Um, if you are looking ahead to the next couple of months or so for the rest of February, we are in family month. Um, next week is don't tell mom the babysitter's dead and uh, don't tell Pat that we're going to talk about that one soon. Uh, let's see. The next one after that is regarding Henry and then the Adams family. Our February Patreon episode is Willy Wonka from 1971 hitting its 50th anniversary this year. March is girl power. Uh, we have got necessary roughness is the first week. My girl, Thelma and Louise, fried green tomatoes and soap dish. And the March Patreon episode is some of our favorite songs from 1990 and 1991. Um, I will say while we were watching this movie and they were playing the song, my girl, um, Sharon looked at me and she's like, what year are you doing the movie? My girl. And I said, actually it's this one. And it's just a few weeks from now. She's like, how are you going to get through that one without like being devastated? <laughs> like no kidding. Right. Yeah. Like I remember that's, that movie messed me up as a kid. That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. Really? Oh, okay. wow. Well, I'll be, I'll be curious how you think about it. Yeah. Hi girl. What's Hi, that? Girl. Huh? I didn't hear the first part of what you said. 
I just, I was just like, wow, you've never seen my girl. Oh, for Pat. I yeah. know that's, that, that's. All right. Well, I'm going to be curious now. Then no with karate chops and, and uh, motorcycles. For so. a first time viewer, I'm going to be curious about that. Yeah. Wow. Especially with, with it being Pat. Yeah. Right. Like this is, yeah. Yeah. He, he's no ordinary first time viewer. No. <laughs> why? why is it it's because it's usually a love it or hate it type thing yes yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's usually a a specific trope that you bump on but i'm wondering if if you're gonna bump on it in my group yeah right. yeah Ooh, wow that's um, yeah i'm looking forward to when we get to that one John and Bo, do you, do you kind of have an idea of what it is I'm... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now Pat's concerned, and this is going to be looming for the next month or so. Maybe I'll watch it tonight when we're done. Okay, there you go. Yeah, you may want to watch it with Tammy. Okay. Just... And a box of tissues. Yeah, there's that. All right, well... Maybe I'll just watch The Wolverine tonight. Part <laughs> <laughs> call. You want to go ride bikes? Mm. Oh, <laughs> oh man, I don't, I don't know. You want to go climb trees? Basically, yeah, well, he has to get up. He has to get up. Why? What are you a sick, sick animal? Oh, what? Oh dear. Okay, maybe, oh, I, maybe I agree with anything Katie would have said about you then. <laughs> <laughs> Just quoting the movie. Leave me alone. I, I know you are. You, but you're picking on Pat. You're being kind of mean. Oh, Pat can be. I'm not, I'm not picking on Pat. I'm just saying. I'm. I'm. I'm very interested in hearing his his feedback. Oh, I am too. I'm looking forward to that one. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll be curious to see which way he kind of goes on that one. Hmm. All right. Well, gentlemen. It has been, I'm looking at how long we actually recorded for this episode. And I'm like, good Lord, I have to edit this. <laughs> like, I don't know. What, what was, what, what was the length of the movie itself? It was one hour and 42 minutes or something yeah, like that. It's not a long one either. Yeah. It's yeah. one hour and 45 minutes. I think we've, I think we've now recorded for the length of this and the sequel. <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> well, just put in some laugh tracks and say, we do it a live show. No editing. Yeah. <laughs> You, th- it. You, do it live. you think I edit? <laughs> yeah, Pat knows how this works. You've been Pat Splained. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, man. All right, friends. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this one. Yeah, go watch. If you have not seen uh, Father of the Bride, go watch it. It's a great movie. Um, yeah, go check that one out. But we will see you back here next time for Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Bed. Don't don't tell mom the babysitter's bed. That is a different <laughs> that's movie. That's a completely different movie. I didn't think we were that kind of a podcast. It's guys. it's the family thirty family friendly. The, the thirty something podcast after dark. <laughs> anyway, let's try that again. Put a little whiskey in that guy, and yeah. you never know what's gonna happen. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's try that again. All right, join us next time for Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Everybody, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we'll see you back here next time.